Hey, I want everybody on stage. Just make sure you watch all the equipment, because you know what that means. We're from Austin, Texas. Where the hell is that? Lors de son passage à Ottawa, M. Barré a déclaré aux journalistes canadiens qu'il appartient aux puissances occidentales de contrer l'aventurisme soviétique en Afrique. La Somalie elle-même a fait une tour, on est bien à ta part. Ajoutons que la reconnaissance à toutes les humains occidentales qui voudra bien aider à renforcer les capacités de défense de son pays. Hello friends, it's Tuesday, I'm Schmitty, and this is Talking Schmidt. Today is episode 92, and I'm honored to bring you an interview I did last week with Austin's own Tim Kerr. No, not the hockey player, and not the record label up in Portland either. 
This is the Tim Kerr of the first skate rock band, The Big Boys. This is the artist, Tim Kerr, who is profusely productive of enamored work. This is also the photographer, Tim Kerr. And yes, the skateboarder, Tim Kerr. You see, Tim's done a lot of stuff, and he has a lot to talk about, and tends to have many epic tales looking back, but he still hopes he hasn't seen the best of it yet. Oh, and save your quote-unquote artist, skater, punk rock labels. If you have to go there, he'd rather you just call it DIY. I don't even really like saying punk rock anymore because punk rock has such a uniform now and a sound and a set of rules and all that, which was absolutely not at all what we were doing. That's not what we were doing. You know, that's just not, and it's not what I do now. So to me, if you're going to put me in some kind of banner or box, DIY, that's what I am, DIY. Before we get started, I want to share with you all some of what's been going on in my world lately. I've been working on a Burnside montage for Thrasher that'll come out in a few weeks. We're gearing up for the 40th anniversary of the MAG, which will be next year, so there's going to be some really big, cool, exciting, historical, you name it, we'll do it. Uh... Recently, I've been skating a little bit with Tim and Eric, uh, trying to go out at least once a week. Last week, we went to Sunnyvale Skate Park, and it was hot down there, and we'd been skating for a while, and McKinney comes up, and he asks Eric and I if we wanted some water, and that's the end of the story. Apparently, Tim was just curious. It was not an offer. A few minutes later, Eric and I noticed Tim had gone home. Love you, Blight. I have to admit, the boredom and the forced indoors way of lifestyle I've been led into has got me back watching football. The old NFL. Can't really back their ways, but I don't know. I'm there watching it. It was funny the other day, I was talking to Cheryl about it, and I'm like, Oakland doesn't have a team anymore. And she said, yeah, they do. They're in Vegas. Oh, mama. Anyway, here's where I just want to insert the word bamboozle. Bamboozle? Yeah, isn't that a cool name? (laughs) Yeah. By the way, how many of you out there are going in for a flu shot? Is it just me or when the signs went up last week saying, it's flu season? Felt like we uh, have been in flu season for a little while, right? Uh, Also in the news, we have... Two inflatable kayaks and can be seen in the San Francisco Bay paddling around. That's right. I said we don't have a backyard. We actually do have a backyard, but the only way to get in it is with a floatable device. And I got to thank Cheryl's parents. They got us two kayaks for Cheryl's birthday. This is a public. Bill Burr. The, the the skateboard kids. I mean, they're just the fucking worst. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you want your kid to achieve as a skateboarder, I think, like, the number one thing you have to do is just be an asshole dad because so many skateboarders, they just got this fucking chip on their shoulder. It's like, what is the, what is the problem? You know? <laughs> 
Don't they make those little fucking areas for you to go do that shit? I think half the fun of skateboarding is having some fat fucking security guard chase you off the lot. If it doesn't happen, then they just try and pick a fight with somebody in his Prius. There you have it. And here he is, kid, the legendary Tim Kerr. I am Tim Kerr. You're listening to Talking with Schmidt. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cars turn. Our big dog's in. Schmitty. 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty. Talking Schmidt. That's probably going to the hospital, bitch. I can shit my pants. When you roll the decks, it's fucking deep. It's about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? thinks he's tough shit. What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Schmitty. What the fuck? I'm here for Greg Smith. Okay, get ready. This is one I would have loved to have done in person when I was down in Austin last year, but I'm just as happy to do it on Zoom. I'm very honored to have him here and get to pick his brains and listen to his stories. This is Tim Kerr, everybody. How you doing, Tim? Doing good. And not Tim Kerr Records. Tim Kerr, the musician and everything else. (laughs) Is, Is there... Uh, what's up with the Tim Kerr records? Is that like a uh, legality yeah. or anything or no? This is probably going to be, if you get going on all this stuff, this is going to be longer than Brian's interview you had with him, <laughs> which was like a couple of, I sat and listened to it. It was pretty great. So, but, uh, cause I'm, I, yeah, you get me going and there's like so many freaking stories and just so much stuff. I mean, like we were talking earlier, things are so intertwined and everything, but Tim Kerr records, like it's a guy in Portland it's what I've been told. I know it is. I mean, because you, you'd have to be fairly vain to think you're the only person named your name, you know, kind of thing. And there is a hockey player. There's a pro hockey player named Tim Kerr. Okay. A big deal because people have sent me cards of him and stuff like that and everything. But the Tim Kerr records thing, what was so weird and what kind of sucked about it was that right when I went up to go do Monkey Ranch, and it was like 1990, I guess. It's like, and it was only going to be a one band thing we weren't going to do more records or anything and and that record is basically the third incarnation of poison 13 and what we had written or what i'd written and uh you know would have come out so that's basically what that is it's like the third poison 13 record is that first monkey branch thing except for the covers and then mark wrote words and stuff like that but but right at the exact same time that i go up there uh was right when there was all the feeding frenzy because Nirvana was signed and all this stuff was going on. So all the majors were grabbing every little farm team they could find, you know, thinking they were going to find the next big whatever. And, uh, and so there was a label there called, um, uh, God, man, it was um, Thor and Katie. So TK Records. And TK Records, I guess they it was too close to Casey and the Sunshine Band's record label or something. So they changed the name to Tim Slash Kerr Records, right? But I, And it was like I'm saying, the timing was crazy because I was up there at the exact same time kind of thing. Um, the, the story is, is that there's a guy, there was a guy, I think he's passed now, named Tim Kerr, that had all the money and gave him the money to, to you know, go on with what they were doing, but uh, wanted to be anonymous, which is odd to me because it's like, well, then why did you name it your name? If you want to be anonymous, this is kind of, so whatever. So the first thing I found out about it was when I came back home, I think it'd been like a month or two or something. I was back in Austin and stuff. And I got, um, 
a letter or an email from Cynthia Connolly. And Cynthia sent me like a big picture of this full page ad that said Tim Kerr Records and it had all this stuff. She said, I didn't, and she was joking, you know, kind of thing. But she's like, I didn't know you had a label kind of thing. I was going, oh, that's pretty crazy and stuff. So I didn't think that much about it, you know, and I was just like, what? A, you know, it's not kind of. And then what happened was Garage Shock. And we went up to Garage Shock to go play. And I don't remember, I was probably Jack of Fire. I'm sure it was Jack of Fire that was playing that and stuff. And I would have people coming up to me and I'd have somebody from Sweden or somebody from Japan or something going, man, I wrote you, but you didn't write back kind of thing. And I was just like, cause I, if, if you write to me, I'm writing you back. I mean, that's, that's kind of an amazing thing that you took the time, you know, to write somebody kind of thing. So then it just bummed me out. So I came back home and I'm, I mean, people that really know me know, like I, if you put me on a guest list, we still stand in line. Like that, that stuff is kind of embarrassing to me. And I don't really like being vacuum cleaner salesman and just like, well, I'm Tim Kerr. I did blah, blah, blah. And blah, blah. You know, like who the fuck cares? You know, like it's not that. So it was kind of embarrassing, but I thought, okay, I'm going to call them up, you know, kind of thing. So I call up the place and I just said, well, this is, this is kind of weird, but I'm Tim Kerr, you know, kind of thing. And, and they basically, I can't remember the, the first initial conversation, but basically what was going on was Thor was like this hothead character. That's what I've been told. I haven't ever met him and stuff. And I, he may have passed to you now, but uh, just like this kind of asshole hothead kind of person. And he would just get in these modes of just like either being like, well, he should be, he should be happy. You know, that we've, we've named this, this, well, oh, I don't even know who that is. We don't have anything to do with him. This is so, you know, the, the stories just kept changing and just, and, and I thought, oh shit, you know, I, we're going to, you know, I may get sued or something, you know, like we're going to have to figure out what, so I got a hold of Ian, I got a hold of Corey, I got a hold of Bruce and Jonathan, like all these different people that were kind of, you know, established and just said, hey, if this ends up going to court, will you stand behind me and say that, well, I've kind of been here before you were here, you know, kind of thing. Like it's, you know, in that, you know, setting, you know what I'm saying? Because the thing that sucked about it was that like, here would be, uh, you know, a fanzine or magazine or something. And, and on the same page that there's a big ad for Tim Kerr records, there would be stuff that I was in, you know, like, or something I recorded or something, you know, there would be reviews on the other side. So people were making, that kind of connection and then there was also the fact that the first bunch of reviews that they were getting one out of every eight of them would say well isn't this that guy that's in big boy you know Tim, well, that's austin you know kind of thing. you know there'd be some kind of yeah. you know they would they would connect it you know kind of thing and so and i just kept thinking man this sucks because you're either the type of person that that happens and you go oh shit we better get a hold of this person or you go Hmm, cool. And you don't say anything, which is exactly what they did. They did. They kept, they just never, you know, denied it. You know what I'm saying? They never, ever said it straight kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So the last conversation we had, and at the time I didn't really have a lawyer or anything like that. And so we had a friend that wrote him a, a letter that sounded like a lawyer and stuff. And that, and the last conversation we had was, uh, I was trying to get him to, I was saying, well, Hey, can you, could you just say Tim Kerr, not from Texas, you know, just, just something to cook. Cause I don't want to shut you down. I'm not trying to get any money. I don't want to put, I just do something about the name, you know, kind of thing. And, 
And they wrote back and said, well, we have an artist from Texas and they would be offended. And I was just like, well, what? Like if, if Dave Kreider said, this is estrus, not from, Te-, you know, that's not going to offend me because it's not, you know, like what the fuck is it? So, oh, so then it went for like, I could, you know, I just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I just didn't worry about it anymore. And I would get asked, you know, same thing like the bad brains bullshit. It's like I, I would get asked once or twice every year, you know, six months or whatever kind of. Right. And, uh, but the best thing that happened was when Monkey Ranch got back together in 2000 and, uh, and they did this, the rocket, which is in Portland too, did this kind of big story on me where there's like three or four pages and this whole big thing. And, and then they had like the little sidebars and they were talking to people like Steve Turner, or di- you know, just different people kind of telling stories or whatever. Yeah. And one of the things they did was they called up Tim Kerr records and they got somebody that obviously hadn't been schooled yet. And the person is great because the person in it is saying stuff like, yeah, I was wondering about that because we get letters for him all the time. And I was wondering what was going on. I was just like, okay, you are fucking cold busted. This is great. You know, kind of like, and so, I, you know, so anyway, that's, that's the gist of all. <laughs> okay. All well, of I, got, I got an idea if nothing, uh, you know, if that doesn't work, I got a great idea. You send the Tim Kerr hockey player in there. <laughs> just give them the muscle. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Or super glue the locks. Super glue in the locks always works really good. Super glue the locks, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I mean, it really shows you the whole, you know, the whole influence thing. Like you everybody influences somebody at all times. You have no freaking clue. And somebody can watch your podcast and decide they're gonna do a podcast. You just influence somebody and you didn't even realize, you know, you yeah. kind of did or whatever. And with with Rainy, like I met him one time, like his, his mom's really great. She's a teacher in San Antonio and does really great stuff and all that. And they came over here and brought me a bunch of boards that, uh, so I could paint on, you know, like they had a bunch of old used boards that, you know, kind of, and, uh, so that, you know, I mean, it was a little bit more than exchanging names, but that was pretty much it. You know, I didn't really, and then he just, he wrote this thing. I mean, it's, I was completely floored and super humbled and honored and stuff. He just wrote this whole thing about, you know, me. And I was just going, oh, my God, like this is, I have no, you know. <laughs> so it's just, but that's, you know, like I'm saying, it's proof to show to people that you, you know, you have no idea when you put something out or you just act how you act or whatever. You don't know what's going to happen with, you know, how it's going to affect somebody else or what they're going to do in turn or you know, just that whole, whole thing. I mean, even yeah. down to your, even down to your Kingpin shirt, somebody can see that when they're watching this and Ooh, Kingpin, and look it up, go get a shirt. We just influenced, you know, it's like the craziest. I mean, that's kind of what the whole thing is about. And like, I didn't really think of it in the beginning this way, but as it, as it kind of formed into whatever it is become, I started feeling like that. And it really gave me a sense of like, man, the world in a lot of ways, it sucks and it has a lot of negativity around it. And everybody wants to, especially in the new era, people are very judgmental in a negative way. And this is a way that we can like praise people instead of like doing what most people are doing is picking, like you watch a movie and what your reaction is, is it's what the worst part of it was like, Oh, that sucked. That sucked. You don't say that one part was amazing. You know, nine times out of 10. So if you get together with people and you say, hey, man, you're pretty cool. 
Like, I know yeah. you've heard some negative shit, but I like what you're doing. That's always been like, you're going to see cats every once in a while. They're oh, coming up like that. the, uh, that's one thing that's always been kind of a pet peeve with me. And especially now with all this going on is that it drives me crazy when somebody passes and then Facebook is full of all these people just like, man, he's the greatest person. They were really there. She was really wonderful. And what, and it's like, well, did you tell them when they were a lot? Like it's just, it's, it, it's amazing to me. It's, you know, it's just, I mean, I, I almost feel like a broken record because I keep responding to people just going, you know, well, it kind of points out you need to really celebrate the people that are here that you really love because you don't know. It's just, it's amazing. You know, it's like the craziest thing. So That's actually one of my biggest pet peeves. Like I've lost some really important people in my life in the last five years, you know, like three people in five years that were really close. And I saw it each time. And as it, as it, you know, unraveled, I was like, huh. And by the third time it was crazy. Cause I'm, I'm sure you know who Jake was, right? Jake Phelps. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't know him knowing, but I know who but he, you knew he was. So yeah. he, he had a very strong personality that you either loved or you hated. And a lot of people didn't like him, but me and him worked side by side. So we we're really close. We traveled a lot. And so I got to know him from a side that no one or not a lot of people did. And, yeah. uh, one of the things he, always told me was like watch what fucking happens when i die watch all the motherfuckers that come out of the cracks and start saying i was the greatest or just all this shit and sure enough it happened and it was just like exactly what you're saying like fuck off dude like what like i don't know it's yeah, it's kind of this me obsessed world yeah yeah no it's it's you know and the other thing with me like i'm you know i mean i'm not I'm not like, I'm not the only one that feels like this, but I just have a real strong feeling that they're here. You know, it's like, they're still here. It's just, they're not physically, you know, I was, I was explaining to, uh, uh, we had to put a dog to sleep like a year or two ago and it was really sucked and sad and stuff. And so when I was carrying Gracie out to the car with the, cause the vet had come here and stuff, you know, and the vet was asking me, well, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I kind of, I'm kind of different with this stuff than a lot of people because now like my parents, like both my parents have passed, but I kind of feel closer to them now and that they're here than when they used to live in Lake Jackson, when they were there, you know, kind of thing like they, and, uh, and the, the funny part of that story is there was kind of a quiet pause. And then he just kind of looks at me and goes, you you're from Lake Jackson. And I was like, yeah, are you from Lake Jackson? <laughs> and it ended up he was, and his mom had like taught under my, my dad was an elementary school principal. So he'd taught under. So it's just that That's everything's the connected. One, right? That's the like small crazy, world aspect yeah. of things. You're just like, what? Yeah. yeah. Huh. How cool. Let's start from the way back is you were born in like a small town in Texas, not Austin, right? No, it's a Gulf Coast town called Lake Jackson. And Lake Jackson is, um, people always think it's close to Louisiana or in Louisiana, but it's the other direction. And it's 40 miles south of Galveston, right on the coast. So I grew up surfing. And that's why I started skating, because I grew up surfing. And and so that's where I'm from. I moved up here in 74. I graduated from high school in 74 and moved up here to go to school. And uh, it was right when Urethane Wheels came out. And, uh, and I'm 64, so I grew up through that generation of Beach Boys and riding on steel wheels and all that kind of crazy stuff. So the, the me 
and a friend, Vic, who's now passed, who um, went surfing uh, up and down the West Coast for the our graduation kind of trip, you know, kind of deal. And uh, and I remember that, like, I was pretty much a loner, and I didn't really, like, I didn't really fit in at all with school. Like, uh, you know, just because I, I was... I was into like Burt Yanch, and John, which I still am, and John Renborn and all that when everybody else is listening to the Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and, you know, which I, they were fine. I, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It's just I was really into this other kind of type stuff. And everybody thought that I was, you know, I was the biggest weirdo in the school and surfing was not cool in the Texas Gulf Coast back then. That was just like a weirdo thing, you know, a faggot or whatever, you know, kind of deal. And so, um, so anyway, I was pretty much a loner and there was definitely, and I didn't do, I didn't smoke pot. I didn't do drug, you know, I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. So I just didn't fit. I just wasn't, you know, what they, they couldn't box me in on anything, but there was just like, I was, but they thought, you know, like, Oh, he deals or oh, he's, he's gay. Oh, you saw, you know, kind of. So I pretty much was a loner and this friend of mine, Victor, cause I, you know, there was definitely a little crew of people that surfed, you know, that were in our school and stuff like that. And I, I knew them, but I didn't really run with them or anything. Mm. And Victor had decided he, for his graduation trip, he was going to go up and down the West coast surf. And for some reason, none of his other friends that he was running with, I guess their parents wouldn't let him go. I don't know what. And then he ended up asking me, and I don't know how, but my parents were fine with it. So I got to go, right? So I, you know, I saw Surfer Magazine, and I think I even had a subscription. And I've been, but I thought sunny California. And I figured that water, I didn't bring a wetsuit. I didn't have a clue that water was that cold, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, I just thought, you know, what? And I had enough money from graduation that I was going to buy a, a David Nuevo board. And, uh, and, you know, that's what I was going to get, you know, when I was up there, get a new board and stuff. Cause I was riding like a little bitty short, you know, kind of, and, um, so the guy, Vic, who I went with, his nickname was bear. And his nickname was that was because the coldest, coldest day, he would never, ever wear a wetsuit. You'd never see this guy in a wetsuit ever kind of thing. So the first place we get to, you, you, in 74, you couldn't go really any further south than about like um, Malibu and you started kind of getting, you know, because of the, the um, um, uh, localism and stuff. So if you had Texas plates and boards, you were going to yeah. get bite or they're going to slash your tires. Or so we had to kind of go from Malibu up, you know, kind of type thing. And uh, so the first place we went to was Malibu. And, you know, and it's in the morning and everybody's got wetsuits on. I'm just like, fuck, you know, kind of thing. And, and uh, Vic tells me, he's going, man, I, I brought my wetsuit. You can wear it if you want. I'm just like, wow, like this. And he literally goes out, gets in water about that deep, turns around, comes back, puts on the whole wetsuit. And I just went because I'd never, ever seen him in a wetsuit. And I thought, fuck, man. So I ended up using my money. I bought a wetsuit. And I remember there was a bank. That was like a under, there was the pier that went out and then there was this banked wall that was kind of where the pier was like around. And there was these two guys just totally styling on that bank on a skateboard because, you know, your thing had just come out and stuff. And I thought, man, that's pretty freaking cool. So I got a skateboard, I bought a skateboard and a, and a wetsuit. And then when I came back to Austin, that's what I was riding with that for a while. So, and I think it was like Cadillac wheels were the first ones I got. And after that, so so yeah. you bought your first skateboard in California. 
Well, I had boards at home that I'd made or like then I had the 15 toes one and all that kind of type stuff. And then my neighbor had one that had clay wheels, which was like, you know, like, oh, it's like Cadillac or something, that kind of thing. So, but yeah, the urethane thing completely changed the game. Before that, it was like steel? Steel and clay. Steel and clay was pretty much all you had. I just know when Cadillac and all that stuff started up, it was a complete different game changer thing. And I came up here to go to school and I couldn't go surf all the time. So I just skated, you know, and that's, that's how we ended up big boys. We all skated and we all met doing that two or three years before punk rock even was even in the picture, you know, kind of deal like it it hadn't even started yet. You know, this this is like, I guess there was skateboarder first magazine that started coming out. So that had already been out for a while to, you know, by the time, punk finally started going you started seeing Dwayne and you know Olson and all those guys kind of like oh shit they know about it too you know kind of thing so so that's crazy it's kind of like you're in your own world and you're oblivious because there isn't like well obviously there's not social media but there's not even magazines really so you just think like we're doing our thing. You you don't know what's going on in California and stuff. Well, you, you knew because of Skateboarder Magazine, you knew that stuff was going on. But and that one, you know, the the Christmas right after Urethane Wheels came out. So seven, it was I'm pretty positive it was '74, and uh, so that Christmas everybody got skateboards because that was kind of the big thing to you know oh look at the you know because I'm I'm sure because of those wheels and stuff. So everybody was getting them kind of deal, and so there was that kind of first wave of it and and like i said skateboarding magazine this is before thrasher and stuff and uh you know just you knew things were happening you knew stuff was going on you weren't necessarily doing it because of that but you just kind of knew you know you kind of kept up with that a little bit you know and then you saw like there finally was a park i think the first park that we ever skated was um in san antonio there was like a park there and then when San Antonio, when that park opened up, like a bunch of the pros came, like Lonnie Toft and I think Cab came and I can't remember who all, Peralta came and stuff. I still, like my shoes, I had a pair of, I had an old pair of Vans, like a red and blue, like the original kind of, and I had all the pros sign the shoes kind of thing. And so for a while they were hanging at the EMP because the EMP did that big skate rock thing that they did that first year. And so they had a, they had a kind of a skate rock punk exhibition or whatever so they hung a big boys board up and they hung my shoes up that were signed which i thought was pretty hilarious and damn uh, that's cool we were skating mostly like hills and then you started kind of finding ditches and we started doing that and skating that a whole lot but nobody knew the pump yet nobody knew how to really do that and so we actually went to pflugerville but you you know it wasn't that much fun because Georgetown went down a hill, and so in there you could just freaking haul ass and get down to these big banks and all this kind of stuff. And I, so we just thought, you know, about Pflugerville. And then once you learned the pump, then it was like, man, Pflugerville, this is the greatest thing ever. And there there was a big ditch in San Antonio called Selma that everybody would ride, and it, it was like a huge. surely it was longer than a football field. I mean, it it was big and it was right off the highway and it had ledges and stuff. And it was really funny because somebody had spray paint, like you would come off of the overpass and then drop down into this ditch. And then it went, you know, like I'm saying, really long. And, uh, but there was a lip on either side. So if you're hauling ass off this overpass, you would just fly off to the other wall, which is exactly what I ended up doing the first time because I went. There's somebody had spray painted "Start here," so I'll go 
I went up there and just hauled S down this thing and just flew straight across and right into the, you know, the wall on the other side. So, but I know when punk rock first started going, so 77, 78, yeah. was kind of where it was kind of start to go. Like that was, because uh, I remember the last bits of skateboarder where when yeah. Olsen got his award and had it you know, outfit on and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and it seems like it wasn't too long after that, that like it, it wasn't, you know, you didn't hear about it much anymore. And then Thrasher started up, but Thrasher started up. It was kind of more of a big newspaper fanzine. You know, it wasn't really like what it is now, you know, kind uh, of thing. Yeah. The first 10 were just like those big print ones that those yeah. are super cool and rare right now to, to get, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, the one thing you'll think is funny because you're talking about liking Mark a whole lot. And those guys like Steve. So Steve Turner, the guitar player in Mud Honey and stuff, and then bass player with me and Monkey Wrench and stuff. He he was the person that kind of helped set up the EMP skate rock thing. Like he was the, the person that really got it. So, and I already, you know, we we like I said, this is 2000, and Monkey Ranch got together in '90, kind of thing. So I now I knew him and all this kind of stuff. I, you know, I knew he skated, but I didn't really think that much, and we didn't talk about it a whole lot or anything. And like, and so I was up there for this thing, or, or right before this thing, and I was staying with him. And because of like right now, you know, you're a whole lot earlier than I am. You're two hours, you know, away. I would always be up like at six in the morning because I just you know, and drinking tea and stuff. And I saw all this stuff out on the table, kind of the, all these photos and everything that he was, you know, getting ready for the EMP deal. And it's all these people skating and stuff. And he was super excited about talking to Dwayne Peters. He was all excited. He was meeting Dwayne Peters and talking to him and stuff. And, uh, and I'm looking at these photos and all of a sudden I see this guy and he's like in a uh, Adam's flyaway helmet. And he's, you know, I mean, he's not getting like crazy air, but he's getting air out of the, this ramp and stuff. And, I'm just like, holy shit, that's, it's Steve. Oh my God. He, and he was good. He skated and he was good, you know, kind of thing. And so we got in this big conversation about Thrasher. And it's funny because to me, like for, for Mark and Steve and a whole bunch of people, when I recorded the Quadrajets, I got talking with them about this and stuff like the Thrasher is what got them into punk rock or that's what told them about all these different bands, you know, like JFA or big boy or whoever else, you know, Los Avidados, all these kind of, and that's how they learn. So to them, Thrasher is who got it all across America, you know, kind of type thing like that. That's the reason that it, and for me coming from the older generation of all this stuff, it was like, no, like that's, I mean, that's great, but no black flag DOA are the people, that went all around this country and opened up, you know what I'm saying? And it got pretty freaking heated, you know, because I was just like, no, you know, they, they didn't start this. This is like kind of, but then I, after a, a period of time, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like over the years, I've kind of realized that, you know, for whatever that next generation was, yeah, Thrasher was the one that Thrasher was kind of the black flag, you know, it was like it, it kind of told everybody about all this stuff and everything's so, right. Yeah. It's, it's been insane to hear like different people's take on this stuff too. There is like a little bit of like, Ooh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's interesting though. Cause when you're skating, like in the early days, there's not really an older crew that's doing it that you can look up to and ask for advice. Right. No, like, not at all. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, and also what advice would you ask? You know, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a I mean, like, you know, I mean, like Mike Buck's, it's a celebration. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, no, but I mean, it's a celebration of yourself. That's what's so great about it. And you can do it by yourself for whatever, you know, kind of type thing. So it's not, I mean, I think the only thing that you would start trying to try to figure out was building, like we built a half pipe mm-hmm. and we built the half pipe, but we didn't put any flat in it. You know, so it was just this total whoop, whoop, whoop right. kind of thing, you know, like, and if we would have realized we would have had flat, you know, before, you know, I mean, all of this stuff is before big boys, you know, we were doing all of this well before, you know, and by that point, by the time big boys and all that kind of stuff started up and kind of like midway through punk rock. So probably 78, some around in there and stuff. By that point, skating, you might as well have had a blue mohawk, you know, and those weren't even around yet, you know, because people are yelling at you, throwing shit at you from the cars, just like, hey, how old are you? Why are you staying? You know, just stupid, you know, like, you're that's a kid's toy, you know, just all this, yeah. you know, I mean, you, it literally was just as bad as, as later into, I mean, it, it wasn't that different from having a blue mohawk and walking down the street, you know, and you mm-hmm. get the same reaction. So, so, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, like I say, it, it's, we were already kind of in that sort of culture. And then it was, it was pretty easy to see how punk rock kind of intertwined with skating. You know, it was kind of obvious that, does that make sense? Like it, it's, and you it also, and you also had the kind of crew that like, you know, okay, you've got the one crew that listens to Ted Nugent and you know that kind of type stuff when they're skating and then you had the crew that listened to punk rock once that really got going and then you had us who were listening to like cool in the gang and just ohio players and all this kind of you know it's just you know there was definitely you know some division even in that group back then a little bit so yeah how did you get into those type of bands like cool in the gang and and I oh, think you were in Coltrane and that stuff. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I, I was always into soul music. I really, really love soul music a whole lot. Did they and play I, it around your house growing up or anything? My brother, my oldest, I have two older brothers. And one's, both of them ended up being coaches at one point. And so my mom was an elementary school librarian. My dad was an elementary school principal. Both my brothers ended up being coaches. They're eight and 10 years older than me. And uh, so I was kind of the oddball in the family, you know, kind of mm. thing. And my, but my dad, uh, both my parents were really supportive. But my dad, I think, was really pretty happy that here came this kid that wasn't really the prom king. And he was kind of more into, like, art and music. and Because you know, I've been doing art and music since freaking before elementary school. I've been doing stuff, you know. So my oldest brother, Steve would listen to the, the, the it, it, we used to have this saying that we would say all the time about, no, we're going to go further down the dial because back on AM radio, you had to go all the way to the end of the radio stations and that's where the black radio stations were. And that's where the soul music was getting played and everything. So that's what he would always listen to, you know, like huh. there was, so Archie Bell and the drills and, you know, just a lot of that kind of type stuff. So I really liked that a whole lot. And then, you know, I'm old enough that I was there when FM radio kind of really got going. And so then all of a sudden I started hearing things like Burt Gantch and Nick Drake and just all these different things that I, you know, kind of gravitated towards that. And, uh, and the jazz stuff kind of started up with Beth's mom because she had a lot of, uh, of uh, um, jazz records and stuff. And, and I kind of borrowed them one time and was, li- you know, I just, I don't know. I've always kind of been curious and open to, to, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about how it's really funny. And I guarantee you, you've, you've got friends. We've all, we've all got those friends that like, 
okay, everything stops in 1982. And like, the, oh man, that band sounds just like Husker Du and Husker Du was better and blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, just that you know, they stop, you know, or they stop in the Red Hot Chili Peppers or, the, you know, whatever, you know. But, right. And it's, it's weird to me because if you were open enough to start seeking out things that weren't given to you and were hard to kind of find, why just stop? Like what happened that made you, we're stopping it this year. You know what I'm saying? Like you would think that by now you'd be totally into free jazz. You'd be looking for what and reading and just, you know, it's just, a, it, yeah. You know, and I'm starting to realize, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not like everybody else, but into each his own, but you know, it's just an odd thing to me. It's like, what, you know, what, why'd you put those binders on? Why'd you stop, you know, kind of thing. So maybe people's, uh, they get filled like in the beginning you're obsessed because you don't have any knowledge and then you get tons of knowledge and you're like comparatively like this isn't as good. You know what I mean? But before yeah. you don't have anything to compare it to. But you got to keep looking. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the thing that I keep saying to people all the time with all the crazy stuff that I've been involved in and gotten to do. And just it's, it's amazing to me, you know, kind of thing. But at the same time, I hope I haven't seen the best thing yet. You know, and I can't imagine it's just so unbelievable depressing to me. And it really happens with punk rock a lot that you get so many people that are just, you know, man, I've a negative approach. I missed it. I missed it. You know, kind of thing. And it's just like, the hell? Like, go, go, go to a show that's at a house or at a, you know, not, nothing against clubs, but don't go to the club. Go to the, the house party, the basement, somebody, some kids. But that's exactly what it was like. And yeah, they may not play negative approach, but that's exactly what it was like. And you didn't miss nothing. And you're so busy looking behind you and trying to relive this touchdown pass or whatever, you know, you think that happened that you're missing all the shit that's going on right now. And 20 years from now, they're going to be talking about it. And you were there, but you missed it because you were so busy. Like, you know, so that, I don't know, that stuff, man, I'd be in the front row if this happened. Like, I, I think what ha should happen is let's do like the Civil War reenactment. So it's like, okay, if you're going to, if, if, you know, so-and-so is going to get back together, like, okay, let's all wear what we all wore back then. Everybody's got their parts and stuff. And the kid jumps off the monitor and breaks his collarbone when he's turning the flips. you got the four skinheads that come in and cause all the shit and stuff. I'd be in the front row to see that. I think that would be the greatest thing ever, you know, kind of deal. So. That would be cool. <laughs> you, know, you know, Beth and I were talking about how, like we kind of came to the realization a couple of years back that, you know, skaters, skaters are the ones that are still pushing and doing stuff. It's pretty freaking. I'm kind of honored that I'm a, even just a speck in that history, you know, kind of thing. And I'm part of that just because of all these different tribes or whatever you want to call them. The, the skaters are like, you know, they're making parks, they're doing clothes, they're doing art. They're, they're still, creating stuff and and yeah they want to know about history but they also want to know about what you're doing right now like oh, oh shit you're writing a book that's cool what's that you know kind of it's not this you know let's yeah. go to big boys or staying at big boys this that that was the greatest time ever come on back with me you know which which i'm yeah. honored but you know what i'm saying it's like there's you know like we said earlier sure. there's a thread running through all of this so it's it's it hasn't stopped it's not you know, that's, that's not the um, end-all, be-all thing for me. You know, it, it was great, but it's not, it doesn't define me, you know, or something. So, yeah. Well, and as a creative person, you have to, like, feel that you're still significantly evolving. Like, you don't want to be like, 
Wow, I was great in 79, but 2020, I'm, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, also, what happened but, to but me? the sad thing is, is there, there's more of them than us. So that makes sense because there is a lot of people like that. You know, there is, there's a whole bunch of people like that, which is really kind of sad because it's like, yeah, I don't know, like I'm saying, I hope I haven't seen the best thing yet. I have no idea what, yeah. you know, this could be the very last time me and you ever talk. So you better hug and celebrate and just like now, like what's going on right now? What's, and yeah, talk about the 100%. past in here, but it's just, you know, it's almost like we were saying yes. earlier about when people die and everybody comes out of the woodwork and starts talking about them. And it's just like, why didn't you do that when they were alive? Like they would probably really appreciated that or what, you know, kind of. Yeah. When that skate park was built, that was like the first skate park you ever went to that was down there? The one in San Antonio was. And then, uh, and, my dad, and had you guys skated ditches oh, or yeah, anything we, before? Oh, yeah, that? we were totally skating. Like the, the, we, I, I started skating hills first. And then I remember meeting Chris and Nathan, and they were both in high school. And I, I, I think, I must, yeah, I was still in college. Because I was in college, they were in high school, and then Biscuit was 10 years older than us. So if I'm 64 now, he would be 74 right now. I met them because a lot of people were uh, doing slalom. Like they, we had the hills kind of out near UT that you could ride on and, and they'd set up the cones and everybody was doing yeah. that stuff. But I was just like surfing the hill, you know, and stuff and just kind of, and, uh, and they, for some, I can't remember. It seems like one summer, the two guys that were doing slalom all the time uh, decided they were going to have a skateboarding class or something, you know, like teaching kids how to skateboard or something, you know, kind of, and this, I mean, this is back, back, back. And so, and I remember being at a tennis court kind of close to where we live now. And, uh, and Chris and Nathan were there. And that's when I remember meeting for, I mean, I visually remember meeting Chris and Nathan then. And, uh, but by that point we were, you know, we were going, there was a really great ditch in Georgetown that like kind of went down a hill. It's hard to explain it, but it was, it, it just kind of made its way down a hill and the banks got bigger and bigger. And then it really went down and it went down into this culvert, but there was cement, you know, walls all over the place that you could go up to kind of catch your speed and, you know, like slow yourself down and kind of come back down and stuff. So that's what we were skating all the time. And, uh, you know, by then I think Cadillac wheels had come out and those, everybody really loved those. And, Oh, the green ones go faster than the red ones, you know, just all these crazy, you know, myths and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and there was a company here, there was Aerosmith boards, but the board that we rode all the time was friends of ours that had a place called Root and Ridge Rendering. And Root and Ridge uh, had, um, they, they made wooden toys for kids. And, uh, and he, he skated. And uh, so he started making boards. And the boards he would make, you know, it was back before anybody was bending the planks or anything. So you would just add the kick, you know, to the end of it. So you would have that extra piece of wood that kind of came up. I see that. Uh, yeah. And then when they started to be plies and they started making that and like, you know, we ended up going to, I think Houston started getting parks and, and uh, Dallas started getting parks and Jeff Newton worked at free flight. And uh, there was a park in, in Dallas and uh, went up there one time. That's the first time we ever met was he was working there and, you know, went up to that park and just kind of rode and stuff. And, uh, and actually the one thing that's pretty funny is that uh, when we got, okay, Beth, this is a story that makes a bunch of people go, ah, when they hear this, because Beth is two years older than me. We went to the same elementary school. She knew me because I was the librarian's kid. Uh, went to the same junior high school. When I was a freshman in uh, high school, we met. 
no sex, nothing, just best friends, brother and sister. And we were like that all the way until she went off to school. And when she went off to school, she realized that age, there's not, you know, unless you bring up some reference and you can tell by the other person that like, oh, wait, you weren't even alive then. Age has nothing to do with anything. And she wrote me a letter and we've been together ever since then. So we started living together in 74 when I got out of high school and we got married in 78. And when we got married, we went down because she was in Lake Jackson, too. And we went down and got married on the beach. And the night before, there was a a new park that had opened up right outside of Galveston. And we were all excited about going to this park to go see this. And and it was back when you could skate parks barefooted and stuff. And it was like a lot of surf people were going to this park, you know, kind of thing and stuff. And so we we go early the night before so we can all go to this thing. And I just remember Paul, the guy that was Rootin' Ridge doing the boards, he was in front of me and you know, it was back when you had to pay your you know, money and then you got your little picture on your card and all that kind of type stuff. Yeah. And I just remember him turning to me going, well, we should pay for you. I'm like, what? He's going, what the, I guess this is your bachelor's party. We should pay for you. I was like, okay, cool. So that was my bachelor's party was going to the, <laughs> going to the skate park. So pretty cool. Ditches were kind of, you know, we had a lot of them in Texas. So there was, a, there was a lot of really great places to skate. And that right. was kind of whatever did. And, and there was there, somebody, some kids found a pool in Bastrop that was at, uh, it was a big country club that was out there. It went up and then there was tiles. And then the tiles had this weird little kind of coping thing that stuck out that were the tiles. And then there was a gutter. And then there was the coping kind yeah. of thing, right? And I... You know, I could tell from the that I was on tiles, which I thought was really fucking great. You know, I was like, I knew that was going on, but I wasn't. And my wheels, I, I really love sliding because of just surfing, you know, because to this day, if I'm on a board, it's surfing to me. That's what I feel. That's, it just has that feel to me and stuff. So my wheels were just like, you know, uh, they, they ended up being like how everybody was riding when the baggy pants and everybody had the little bitty wheels. Like 42 millimeters. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, you know, was going along and a friend drove up. And when I saw that the friend drove up, I thought, man, I'm going to show him. I'm going to like, and I pushed off really hard and went up and everybody, I mean, this is before anybody did ollie. Nobody knew any of those things kind of thing, but obviously I must have ollied out of this freaking pool and came back down and my wheels stuck in the gutter. And it, and to this day, I swear, I ran down that wall. It was like 14 feet and then slipped and fell on the arm and uh but everybody there said tim you look like you were surfing you just like dove from the top to the bottom kind of thing so so yeah that was that was the first and i was supposed to play kerrville folk festival like the that next couple of weeks or something and i obviously couldn't do anything because my arm was in this cast and all that but uh but that pool like we were there one time and there was two kids that showed up, and I mean kid kids, and they were on just old beater bikes, not big, because back then BMX and skating there, that was two completely different worlds. It wasn't something that they didn't get together at all. And yeah. at some point, it kind of turned into wars, I guess, or something. But like, <laughs> and so these two kids, and they're not BMX kids or anything, they're just on these old beater bikes, and they were riding because this pool was so freaking huge. They were, you know, riding on the walls there. <laughs> And I remember the one kid saying to me, like, oh, so y'all like pools? Well, I can show you some more. Kind of thing. I was going, well, let's go. And, and everybody else was pissed off because I was like, let's go. Let's go see where these other. And that's when we found the one that you see all the pictures of that was in the woods across from the big one. You know, it was like this abandoned 
abandoned one, and it was basically a miniature version of that big. Okay. You know, the big one was at the country club. That's probably the one I've been to. Was there any full pipes back then? There was one time that I don't remember what the, I don't even know where the hell it was. It was like 30 or 40 minutes from here. And I just remember some kind of construction was going on. Somebody figured out that this was happening and we all drove out there and kind of drove like, you know, it's obviously completely against the law and stuff, but we kind of drove in there like we knew what we were doing. And uh, I think it was a 20 foot pipe. And you had to kind of jump in this river thing and then swim to get to the thing and then climb up all this stuff and everything. And then, of course, there's water, like, you know, kind of trickling in it. So everybody kind of took their shirts and whatever else and kind of dammed it up for a little bit so you could just, you know, take a couple of runs. And that was about it. So so what age did you pick up your guitar for the first time? First grade, maybe. I don't know what age that would be, but for first so grade. guitar was before the skateboard. Oh, yeah. You yeah. were playing guitar all along. Yeah. yeah. Cause, uh, but, I mean, mostly just like, you know, I took lessons for a little bit. And, you know, they're teaching you, like, down in the valley and things like that. And, you know, because the folk thing was kind of a big deal back in the early 60s. And then here came the Beatles. And mm-hmm. so I was really wanting to learn more of that kind of stuff. And uh, so I quit going to the lessons and just started picking up stuff on my own and just figuring out things for myself and just, you know, learning by ear is what learning people call Right, and I pretty much played. I mean, seriously, Beth guitar and surfing saved me in high school because that's all I really did. Because the rest of it sucked. Like, I just was not, you know. <laughs> and I'm also living proof for people that are having trouble now that it, it gets better. It'll, it'll get better. So you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not good. from Mars. You're not from Saturn, and you know, so you're you're okay. So. Okay, so let's get into this big boy stuff. Um, it starts out as kind of just like, oh, we're going to do a one and done show at Raul's. Is that is that right? Yeah. You, yeah and you yeah, guys flip a coin to see who's going to yeah, play bass? Because Chris played what Junkyard ended up playing. You know, Chris was literally playing Ted Nugent, that kind of sound and stuff. And here I am in all these weird tunings and my thumbs wrapped and I'm not even playing – you know, I don't play ACDC. I don't play any of this stuff. I'm playing all this other crazy. Yeah. And, um, and it all, you know, I'm sure it was kind of everywhere like this, but it, it was pretty quick. You know, you, 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 Austin, Austin has always been like the little San Francisco for Texas. Yeah, so if cool, you yeah. were into any kind of music or art or anything, that's, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and you were going to stay in Texas, especially at that time you came here, you know, you came to Austin because every place else was just, you know, that wasn't cool to be like that or whatever. So Mm. when punk rock kind of started, I was working at a record store and I remember the records coming in and I remember that I liked the clash a whole lot better than the sex pistols because uh, clash kind of had the harmonies and kind of sounded more Beatles to me. And Sex Pistols just sounded like rock and roll. It didn't sound like anything, you know, who cares kind of deal. And then I got really into XTC and I got into Wire and all that kind of. And you started hearing about Raul's, this club where people were playing at. And you started seeing it on campus. You'd see them walking every once in a while. Like I remember seeing the guys in Boy Problems, which uh, Billy was a singer. And Billy ended up being in Bad Mother Goose later. And on a side note, Billy, the the Go-Go song Vacation is written about Kathy Valentine's affair that she had with Billy one summer. Like that's literally what it's about is Billy that sang in Bad Mother Goose later and stuff. Or one of the singers in Bad Mother Goose. How cool. Um, 
so you start kind of you start seeing all of that. You started seeing skateboarder that you know here's Dwayne Peters and here's Olson showing up with leopard skin stuff and all that. And it was just like holy shit, like this is this is it's it's seeping into this now, you know, kind of type thing. And uh, mm. so Chris and I were out at Pflugerville one day, and uh, and I oh I remember that's what I, we'd gone to. They had a battle of the bands. And uh, at Raul, so we went to go see that, and it was me and Beth, and I think Chris might have gone, and then our friend Rob, who uh, kind of started buying these records before we were really getting them. And uh, and at that point in time, those records were all imports, so you're going to be paying twenty something dollars to get that, that Clash record or to get that Wire record or something. So you had to, you know, it, it was kind of a commitment, like it was. And so, and I remember Rob buying uh, Jonathan and Richmond. And he bought that record, and it had Rock and Leprechaun and uh, something about the supermarket. I can't remember anything. And I, I, I just couldn't get past that he had paid $28 for this record. And it was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Put that on again. Put that on again. You know, kind of thing. And it just kind of seeped in. And then you saw Devo on, you know, I just, all this stuff was kind of happening pretty quick. And we went to the Battle of the Bands, and the, I tell people this all the time the music was secondary i mean what what got me hook line and sinker was there wasn't a barrier between the crowd and the band anymore there wasn't any like the crowd was just as important as the band was the guy standing in the back yelling sound asleep we're sound asleep is just as much part of this thing as this everybody in there was either in bands we're doing fanzines we're are i mean it just the hook, line, and sinker. I thought this is the greatest thing ever. This is great, you know, kind of deal. Huh. So, Chris and I were skating at Pflugerville, and we decided let's see if we can play at Raul's one time. Like let's see, like let's let's get something together and we'll play there one time. Let's see if we can do it. And we flipped a coin to see who was going to play bass because both of us played guitar, and I didn't even have an electric guitar. Like Chris had one, <laughs> and uh, and I because all I had was acoustic, you know, kind of stuff, and uh. Uh, and we thought we'll get, you know, there was a Steve Collier was, uh, he was, uh, I, I think, I think Chris might have still been in high school, but he may have just had gotten out. And then his little brother, Nathan, was like a year or two younger than him. And Nathan ended up playing horns and big boys. He was one of the trombone players and stuff. And, uh, and then Steve was definitely in high school, Collier. And he uh, was, you know, there, it was all skaters because that's, we didn't, you know, we didn't go clubbing and we didn't, you know, run with any of that kind of crew. We all just went to Pflugerville every day and like skated, you know, we just didn't. Right. So that's what happened. So Chris and we thought, well, we'll ask Biscuit to sing. Cause when Biscuit's out here, he's always singing crazy old rock and roll stuff or soul or whatever. And, uh, and that was pretty much that. I mean, huh. that's, that's how it, you know, and same thing with poison 13, we were going to play one time and then it just, took off you know so it's just kind of so was that first show at Raul's kind of like bigger than you expected in your mind like the feeling you got from it was greater than you anticipated and you were like we gotta keep doing this no because the first the first show was actually at this it was this place called the vault and uh, and basically what happened was we decided we're gonna uh, Chris went up and asked Joseph at Raul's like well what does it take to to play here and uh -huh. joseph said to uh, chris when do you want to play kind of type thing and so that <laughs> so it was kind of like okay it's on you know kind of deal so we started practicing at, at uh biscuit's house and biscuit 
lived uh, right off Guadalupe, and, he, and on the other side of him was the state school. And the state school was where all the you know people that were having mental problems and all that stuff. That's where they all were. Okay. And, uh, and there was many a time that people from the state school would climb the fence and come over and stand on the porch and listen to us while we were practicing, which I thought wow. was pretty funny. <laughs> like, yeah. But uh, so we practiced. I think we practiced about twice, and, uh, and we were doing. Uh, we had we were playing the twist. And that door song, uh, come on, I love you, let me tell you your name, that, whatever okay. that thing's called. And, uh, and then I think we wrote Frat Cars and uh, Heartbeat and whatever's on that first single was kind of the first stuff we ever wrote and together. Was Frat and Cars and the first song? first song but it was kind of in the little batch of stuff that we did i don't remember what the first one was but uh Uh you know and once again you know people it's hard for people now the same with the skating and all this stuff you know it's because people think that all this shit was such a big thing back then and in reality in the big picture this is a small little this is not you know this wasn't this acceptable thing and it wasn't just like skating you know it just wasn't this big deal you know Somebody called and wanted to know if we would play it, did we want to play at a party? You know, because everybody knew, Biscuit, Biscuit had already been going to shows. So everybody knew about Biscuit. And Biscuit, um, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, yeah, he was gay, but you, I mean, he might as well have been asexual to me and Chris and everybody. Yeah, he did, it just wasn't, he was more da-da than anything. Like he was just this living art piece that would literally deck out and Christmas tree lights and I don't know what all else and ride his bike down the drag just to hey you know kind of I mean just art piece dada I mean that's literally so everybody knew Biscuit and they really loved him and stuff and they knew that he was going to be singing in this thing so we got asked if we want to play this party and the party was at the vault and uh, I remember the person asking me like well what what are y'all called and at that point in time, we hadn't settled on a name yet. Like we, I think we had like two or three, which I don't remember any of them now except for the big boys thing. And I said big boys because that's the first thing that kind of came out of my mouth to them. That night, we're walking down the drag, me and Beth, to go see some movie or whatever, and there's posters up. And the posters have like 15 different bands, and it's like this big party at the vault and stuff. And Beth sees it and goes, oh, shit, somebody's got your name. 
And I look at it and I realize it's the people that had called. And I was like, oh, shit, that's us. Like we're playing this weekend, you know, kind of thing. So, so we all had to get together. And I think we had like five, I mean, with the covers, I think we had five songs. And, uh, and they made us play them like twice. We had to go through it two times, you know, and everybody was gone. And, uh, and the thing about the vault was it was upstairs and it, was, and it really was a vault. It was an old fur vault. So you went through this big bank kind of door thing to come into this thing and then down these stairs and I'm sure it was full of ass, you know, whatever, it's like super bad for you kind of deal. And, uh, and Beth was always laughing because it was like, man, if somebody ever shuts that door, that's the end of punk rock in Austin. Like they, they've completely killed everybody, you know, kind of thing. They won't be able to get to us or whatever kind of. Right. So, but that, that was the first show. And the very first show Steve couldn't play because it all happened so quick that, uh, that he, he wasn't going to be there. Like he, he couldn't do it. Oh. And so we got, uh, we got another friend, uh, that was a really great skater and, uh, and, and his, um, uh, his last name was Kevin, Kevin Tubb. And, and his, uh, I can't remember if it was his grandfather or somehow he was related, but kind of more like that, like grandfather or something to Ernest Tubb, which was pretty hilarious and stuff. But he drummed. He was the drummer because he was, you know, he was a pretty good drummer too. So he, he was literally our first drummer for that first show. And then he was the drummer after that. So, wow. and you know, that, the thing I remember about the early show, and even to this day, I mean, the thing I remember was that I used to get, like, I'd get, I, I couldn't eat, I'd get really bad butterflies in my stomach, and it, it would suck. And it'd be one of those things, like, yeah, and it was just like, this sucks. I don't ever want to do this. This is like the worst fucking feeling, like, what the hell, you know, kind of deal. And then, uh. but once you start, when, you know, once the first note hit, then I was fine. This is great. I'm having huh. a bunch of fun, and this is, and it kind of still like that. I still, yeah, you know, you the, the only, the only, anticipatory anxiety or something. Yeah, and I, the only two times that I haven't been that it didn't affect me at all was when Monkey Wrench played at Wembley with Pearl Jam because it was just much ridiculous. Like, and then Pearl Jam were great. Jeff and all of them were great and stuff. Another first impression with Jeffrey Allen Ament. First impression of Tim Kerr, um, around 1983, Thrasher Magazine, uh, Dallas skate contest, big boys playing on the ramp. Uh, that looked like the, the best place in the world to be at that time. I think around that same time, there were some photos of uh, he and Chris Gates and Biscuits uh, skating some ditches in Texas. It looked like the raddest uh, crew of humans that, that you could spend the day with. Green River was supposed to play some shows in Texas, uh, 1986. Um, I, think, I think one of the shows was, was with Poison 13, but we were really looking forward to, uh, to going to Texas. Unfortunately, um, our bus broke down in LA. Missed out on that trip, uh, which is a bummer. I've gotten to know uh, Tim over the last few years. Um, I think he's one of the great human beings out there. Um, he, uh, he's one of my favorite folk artists. Uh, he is incredibly prolific, uh, uh, painting folk art of uh, historically important human beings, uh, maybe some that uh, we don't know a lot about. Um, and uh, he still looks like he's having more fun than anybody else. And. Um, that's my, uh, that's my lasting first impression of Tim Kerr. We are giving away five of these. 
you know the deal. You got to enter to win. If you didn't enter, you're not going to win. Five winners, Tony Hawks, pro skater, one and two from Activision. I think it's uh, on all platforms, PS4, Xbox, computer, whatever. Uh, we're going to break skateboarding boundaries, kids. All right. Let's see what's up. We're going to draw the winners out of the old honeybee cup. Big Dog is definitely going in. No whammies, no whammies. Big bucks, big bucks, big bucks. The first winner is... Angel Cardenia Shout from out. Wakanda, Illinois. He wants to be Chad Muska. Congratulations, my friend. Let's get a number two. What to do? What to do? Number two. From Boise, Idaho. That's you, John Met. Shout out. You're going to have fun playing with Tony Hawk, apparently. It's fun, man, doing giveaways on the show. Really appreciate the good people over there at the Tony Hawk video game for giving us five to give away. Looks fun if you're a video game. Uh, hold on. I got to do this on camera because I don't want anybody saying I cheated or whatever. Uh, number three. Who is it? I don't know. I got to read it. Oh, Nathaniel Odom in Sacramento, California. Apparently, he wants to be the Muska. Bosco won. Damn. One of our biggest fans. All right. Nothing up my sleeve. And the fourth winner. What does it say? What does it say? Mesa, Arizona. Your own Matt Thewitt. Shout out. Nothing to do it but to Matt Thewitt. I think that that's Schmidt. You just won, and Kareem Campbell is your choice of uh, skateboarders. We're going to pick our fifth winner. I'm going to roll the dice, baby. Roll the dice. All right. No, 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 no. All right. Big dog's going in. Ooh. And the fifth and final winner is out of Alameda, California, Chris Tavares. Shout out. Andrew Reynolds is his pick. That was fun, guys. Uh, we'll be doing giveaways each week, hopefully. Um, good people at Derby are chiming in, and they want to give away a jacket. Details coming soon. Also, Blue Plate is giving away a $100 gift card. Working out the details now. We're also thinking about if you don't live or are able to get to the San Francisco area of sending food to your doorstep. So look for the details on that. And if we can't do anything, I'll just give away some swag. All right. Big love. Thanks to everyone for playing. And remember, you can't win if you don't enter. So back to the show. Hasta la vista, baby.
the thing I'm kind of doing now with Jerry, the up around the sun stuff, we got asked to play. We, we, we never play. I mean, I can't stress this enough. Like we, we play at houses and we played at Volcom at the art. When I've had art shows or stuff, we'll play sometimes and we'll do big square dance or some crazy. And, uh, and we've played maybe twice at this bar on a Sunday outside where there might've been four or five people that came to see us. You know, there really wasn't anybody like kind of, and all of a sudden we're playing at this place where like you go and see Al Jarreau or, you know, like see, I mean, something really pretty big deal and nice. And it was so completely absurd to me that I just didn't even feel anything at all. It was just, I mean, it was great. And we had a good time. A lot of people showed up and stuff, but uh-huh. that, that's seriously the only two times that I've ever been like, you know, not affected at all. So Okay. Um, I never got to see you guys play, but I've read a lot about the shows and stuff. Uh, I'm wondering how much dramatization there was or like what actually was going on. Cause I've read everything from like food fights happening, like, uh, uh, biscuit playing in the tutu like all the time and people freaking out about that. But it, are these incidents that happen like once or twice and they kind of got exaggerated or was this kind of like a, an average show no, it's kind, of the, kind of the average like like the the i mean the first and it's been like that with me from then on it's like the first thing was no barrier so if you want to get up there and sing get up there and sing with me this is great you know this is kind of um so and biscuit once again the tt thing he probably wore that thing maybe somebody just recently told me we did like 300 and something shows i can't remember in those couple of years that we were together oh, and uh and i bet I bet he wore that tutu maybe 10 times, maybe. You know, like, oh, I don't okay. even think it was that many times. I mean, because it was just, like I'm saying, it was like Dada. It was like a crazy. And so, like, sometimes we would, sometimes, like, we went one time, which is on the back of that Raul's record, and it confuses people a lot of times. And it looks like we're in KKK robes and hoods. <laughs> and we are. But what it is is Kappa, Kappa, Kappa. We're like a fraternity. We're, we're, we're fucking with the whole fraternity thing and just like, man, fuck you, Kappa, Kappa, Kappa. You know, this is what you guys are, you know, kind of deal. Because yeah. fraternities would – part of their whole thing of, uh, you know, when they get up, when you're first joining, you know, and they, they put you through Rush or whatever that is, one of the things that some of them would do is they would, they would have them come into Raul's and then cause a bunch of shit with all the weirdos that are in Raul's, you know, try to get in a big fight and, you know, John Wayne movie kind of stupid shit and everything. So, you know, there was, there was tension all the time with that stuff and just the, the you know, the idiotic re- reality of that and stuff. But, uh, and then one of the times we played, we played with the Go-Go's twice. And one of the times we played with them, we went with dresses on and we went as stop stops and it kind of pissed them off. Like they weren't real happy about that. And, uh, and we played with Grace Jones. I mean, it's it's kind of nuts, all the people we've played with and did. And uh, and Grace Jones, what happened was they wanted a – she sang to tape music. You know, she didn't have a band. She just kind of sang to – and they really wanted us to play and open up for them, but we had to do what Grace Jones did. So the club paid for us to go into the studio and tape all our songs. And, uh, and that was literally the first time we ever did Sound on Sound. And uh, taped the music to all the songs – and then we kind of had a skit for every single, like on Sound on Sound, I literally walked out with a radio, put the radio down on the stage, turned it on, found a station, put the microphone on the radio, and then had the other microphone and the music started. And I started singing, you know, kind of deal. And then 
on TV, like, you know, each one of us, I would start a verse and then it would come back and then now two of us are singing, now three. Well, each time somebody was singing, they would plug themselves in and lights would all, you know, you'd be Christmas tree lights all around. And just crazy, you know, but it yeah, all, okay. but that was sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Like it never, it's just, it, it was whatever it was, you know, it wasn't really, sometimes it was planned, sometimes it wasn't. There, okay. There's a, there's a really great story that Billy was telling one time, Billy that I was telling you it was bad mother later and stuff. And they, and he, he was like in that one of the original boy bands was called boy problems. And then, it, and then he was in the news and jitters and bands like that. And so one time the jitters were playing with big boys at club foot. And, uh, and we actually were banned from club foot. And that's when you hear fun, fun, fun. The first part of that song is all about us being banned. is about how uh, the Stains were trying to, uh, or MDC was trying to divide everybody up. You know, are you hardcore, are you new wave kind of type thing? And we were going, well, you know, we listen to this, this, and this, but we listen to Joy Division and we listen to, fuck you. You know, it's like uh, we listen to what, uh, no, there's no rules to this and no, we're not yeah. you know, taking five. So, so anyway, Billy and them, he was all excited because he was going to outdo Biscuit. 
because a lot of times we didn't know what Biscuit was even going to do, you know, kind of thing. And so he was going to outdo Biscuit. So he came out and he was in some crazy box that, you know, they opened up and all this kind of stuff for him. And he finally comes out of the box and he's singing and all this kind of stuff. Well, that was the night. And Biscuit, and Biscuit once again, Biscuit didn't do this because he heard that Billy was going to outdo him or anything. It was just Biscuit, right? And Biscuit decided that that particular night, what he was going to do was have a change of costume for every single song that we did. Right. Oh. So like he was literally like running and changing all these kind of, and Billy was just like, fuck, you know, this is, <laughs> And the one that I've told, the one I've told people a bunch of times that's still to this day, like I, this was near the end and near the end of us, like the last year or two of us, if you ask any, if you ask Corey, you ask anybody from that generation, they're all going to tell you that 84, 85 is when things kind of shifted and changed, you know, like as far as the shows and all that kind of stuff, it kind of turned into more of a show instead of this crazy happening and everybody together and, you know, kind of. Uh-huh you know, the big community of it. You know, you, now you were having just clusters of people coming and you were coming for the show, you know, kind of deal. You weren't coming, you know, to be part of the happening or something. So um, anyway, um, so basically as soon as we would start the first note, the stage would fill up with people, you know, because, oh, we're supposed to get up and sing, you know, kind of type thing, you know, that which fine. But you know what I'm saying? It wasn't just a spontaneous, mm. it was like, oh, this is, you know, you kind of get your drink. Oh, big boy's playing. We get up on stage and sing. And so, Biscuit, like, he, it was motor oil and syrup. And I can't remember what all else that he poured. He poured it all over him. Like, literally, right before we were getting ready to play, he just poured it. And then he went and rolled in the parking lot. So, when he came back out onto the state, he looked like Sasquatch. I mean, it was just like this crazy. And, of course, me and Chris just went like on either because it's like I'm not getting close to this at all you know this is like because it's sticky and all this kind of and we start the first song and here they come and the and the kid jumps up and grabs Biscuit to sing and stuff and just goes and I and the rest of the show nobody got up on stage with us at all which I thought was freaking great and hilarious just because Biscuit's in this crazy freaked them out oh shit was he doing was he into doing drugs and alcohol or was this just his spirit or like what what was Biscuit about yeah his spirit yeah I mean yeah he would smoke pot some and stuff and and uh but no, nobody, nobody in that band was really shooting up or anything like that, or like you know. He was just that's who speed. he was. Huh? Yeah, you know, if he if he did do speed, you know, if he did do speed, it was one of those party things. Does that make sense? Like he might do it every once in a while or something, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Like you know, the thing you know what I'm saying? We weren't one of those kind of bands that was pretty heavy drinkers or any of that kind of stuff. So right. we just weren't. You know, so. Who were some of the bands that you were hyped on connecting with that you were like, oh, these guys are doing rad shit? Well, I mean, we were, you know, Texas, Texas, as cliches as it sounds, is big. I mean, it's a big, so if you went to play in Dallas or Houston, you're already on tour because it's like four or five hours to get there kind of thing. So, sure. so the first tour that we ever went on was right when Thrasher started up. And mm. uh, I think that one issue had come out, maybe two, but I think one. And, um, and by that point, we, you know, bands had come through, like we'd seen Black Flag, we'd seen Fear, we kind of, and we knew, you know, Flipside was out, Fanzine, so you kind of knew things were happening in different places. And uh, so we decided, and we knew Spot, you know, Spot really liked us a whole lot. And, and uh, so we decided what we were going to do is we were going to go to California to go skate. 
and oh yeah, we got some shows, you know, kind of thing, but we we're going to go skate kind of thing. So we went and I think we'd met TA by then because Jeff had had that contest where we were all playing. I, all this stuff kind of gets mixed up with me because I can't really, because there's, I mean, I hate, I hate the way this sounds. I hate these kinds of people and this, but I've done a lot of stuff. So it's like all this stuff kind of starts. No, you know, I, I, I can't remember when or what kind of, and uh, I think we pretty much knew TA by then. And, and uh, in fact, I know we did. And, uh, and we went out there and we didn't, we didn't have a show in LA. We had a show, we had some shows in, in San Francisco and, uh, and we wrote to Thrasher to basically, uh, not not what now, you know, like to people write so they can, oh, man, we'll, we'll be in your magazine. And then we got made like we're going to have all this money and we're going to have all, no, 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 nobody radio label. Nobody was interested in any of this shit. Any of us were doing, you know, got it back. then. It had nothing to do with any of that. We wrote to Kevin and them because they skated. And we're coming to your town. Where's the ditches at? Where do you want to go skate? Let's go skate. You know, that was basically that period. That was it. That's all we wanted to do. There wasn't to be, come see our band and review it. So not, you know, not, yeah, yeah. it's just, and, uh, and we literally, we played at, uh, the, uh, in the Tenderloin. And I don't remember what the name of the place was. And literally like MoFo was there. Beth was there. The promoter was there and the other band. And that's all that was there. The other band finished their set and yelled, tours go home to us and left kind of type thing. So we were the only ones up there kind of playing and stuff like it. But we're in San Francisco and we're going skating. You know, kind of thing. So, so there's pictures. There's pictures that Bill took because Bill was with us. Photo Bill that took all this really great, you know, Bill Dan, Bozo Texino and all that. And mm-hmm. and on a side note, I did all the music for Bozo Texino. If you've ever seen that, like that's have you have you ever seen that film? It's 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 all about the boxcar riding and the hobos riding on boxcars. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you should look it up. It's a really great film. It's it's kind of about the history, you know, before graffiti was graffiti, it was the boxcar stuff, and right. It, it's it's great it's a really cool and so he's got pictures of it was like you know rick blackheart and kevin and mofo and uh, i think bryce came out there and all this and we're all skating in some empty parking lot and you know then then we went to that crazy dish that was over there by thrasher oh, at the time. Yep. like a really bad part of town i guess <laughs> yeah we were out there skating that and and uh, and i think i think that first time we ever went out there he took us out to um whatever that carl's what whatever that place was that had the washboard the park that had that crazy washboard in it, oh kind yeah of thing. We uh, down to winchester right i think yeah we, they took us to that and stuff mm-hmm. and you know by that point in time we were we were still skating vertical and stuff but we were so much more into banks and ditches and all that kind of shit that we were kind of more into those things you know when we went to a park we gravitated towards that kind Mm -hmm. of deal so and uh and i remember that mofo like i guess he really liked and we played at the the skate shop the the hate on skate i think or something the place that was right yeah, and because uh, there's pictures of Mofo sitting on the counter taking photos and stuff, and we're all kind of in there playing, and we, then, you know, uh, and somebody came down in a body bag after we got finished. Like something happened upstairs there, and somebody, they literally <laughs> cops came and like, SFC. but uh, yeah. So, um, but I remember that Mofo wanted. I think at first he was going to do an interview with us, like he was just going to do a band kind of interview thing. 
And then I guess he decided he didn't want to do that. He wanted to do the Wild Riders of Boards. He wanted to turn it into this cartoon kind of type thing. And he drew all those drawings and all that. And he made up this crazy story. And it was us. It was we were the band and we had a pet armadillo and things like that. And I think that's kind of when you first heard skate rock. I think that's the very first time you heard that term was in, I think, in Wild Riders of Boards. Because huh. uh, I know that we're the first one. I know I've listened to Brian and we've gone back and forth laughing about because I don't really care. But I've been told, MoFo says that everybody, we're, we're the first one that got named that. You know, yeah. not that we were, but we're, we were the ones that had that name for, you know, skate rock kind of type thing. Uh-huh. So, um, and on a side note to that, because I knew I was going to be talking to you, and I listened to that, Brian. And Brian's great. I love Brian. He fucking skates amazing still. He's like an unbelievable. Uh, I heard him. He was saying something about, oh, I'm going to give it to him. But we had the first board. I remember him saying that. Like, yeah. when we were the first one had a board. No, sorry. Like, I, I, I got a hold of. I got a hold of a friend that's like a total, total crazy collector about skateboards and stuff. Uh-huh. And I said, hey, I'm going to be on this podcast. I just want to know just in case this comes up. But like, who, who was the first board? Was it JFA or was that? And he goes, well, you guys, it was 82, 83, you guys, y'all had the first board. And then JFA came out and such a side. Yeah, I gave this other date. And I was just like, okay. Ooh, Ryan, <laughs> take that. <laughs> there you go, Brian. <laughs> well, speaking but, uh, of that, I, I real quick, um, or maybe it's not real quick, but he mentioned this time, I think it was one of the first times that they went to Texas and skated with you guys. And they were... And they were in the car a little long or something, and there was some discrepancy yeah. on like. Well, no, because what happened was because <laughs> if you skated, if you skated, of course we're taking you to Fleurville because we all, you know, I mean, literally when we would tour for the most part until near the last, it, it literally was like, okay, we're going to go to this thrift store and we're going to go meet these people and we're going to go skate and stuff. Oh, and then we're supposed to play at such and such, but then we're going to go do something, you know, is that, you know, isn't, you know, and we, when we love playing, but it was just like, there's, there's other stuff that we wanted to kind of, so of course when bands would come and they skated, man, we'd take them to Pflugerville and all these different places. And we didn't know about the letter yet. Like, I don't think the letter had been printed yet in Thrasher. Like, I think he had sent it out, you know, to the, uh, to Thrasher about how he was calling out all the different, you know, because, because basically I think what happened was when the, the, that cassette came out, the first one, then, and once again, in the big picture, this is a small little, <laughs> little group of people. This is not this big thing that people think it is now and stuff kind of sure. deal. But all of a sudden all these bands were just like, well, our drummer skates, we're skate rock, we're skate rock, you know, kind oh, of thing. Yeah. And just all these people out of the woodwork were coming like, well, we skate kind of, and, so Brian wrote the letter that he was talking about, you know, he just kind of basically saying, okay, we're going to go on tour and we're going to go skate with you. And if you, if we see that you don't skate, we're calling you out. We're going to let people know that, no, that's bullshit. You're not skate rock. You kind of think. So when we got to Flint, now we didn't know any of this, like okay. until we saw the later, the, the letter, like, you know, a month later or two months later when Crasher came out. But, we get to Pflugerville, we all get out, you know, put on music and stuff, and we're all fucking having a great time, and they're just kind of sitting and watching. And uh, and so for the longest time, I kept teasing about it and saying that. I was going, oh, okay, now that's what was going on. Yeah, we're checking to see if we skated, you know, to make sure we were like. But literally just recently, like, 
you know, we've been doing that thing, me and Mike White and a whole bunch of different people. There's a, there's a teacher, Eric Carissa, that's really, really great. And we've been doing all that stuff at Wirtz Elementary School where we play, play with the kids. I don't know if you saw, like we did Minor Threat the other year and like that oh, thing went yeah. by. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. and just all then we would have done it again this year but like COVID, COVID and stuff you know so I've, I've literally done it the last 10 years now we've been doing this thing and the last two years of it Eric decided that he wanted to do something for all the people that have been helping him out like you know the art because we all do it which I'm more than happy we do it for free and just come and do this stuff for him and and uh so he's been having these shows in Cerritos that Hago is, and Hago is another, I'll tell you about his, because I love that kind of, I'm so much more into that kind of stuff than, and it sounds like that's what this podcast is and everything, but, uh, yeah. uh, but Hago is the art teacher there or, or teaches art or something at the junior college there. And it's super nice and all this. So we started doing pop-ups at the junior college, you know, at the Cerritos. So I think it's Cerritos and, uh, and, uh, and so they have a show that's up for the night or maybe the weekend. And then we play music there and, you know, just all this kind of thing. And the last time we did it, um, Brian was there. Brian from, you know, and Mofo was there and stuff because they got up and sang some stuff. And then we, I think we did a big boy song and I can't remember what all. And Brian told me then it was really funny. There was, there was a bunch of people kind of sitting and he, I don't even remember how this even got going or how this started, but he kind of, you know, just told the whole crowd and everything. He goes, you know, Tim, Tim's always thinking that we were checking them out and stuff. And like we were, you know, we were kind of worried about, you know, do they skate or not? He says, we were just stoned. We were like, we've been riding all day long in the van. We were stoned. We were like sitting. <laughs> no, Hago, the, the cool thing about Hago is, is you know how, um, like, you know, Michael Sieben, all that crowd, they're great. All those, but, you know, once again, I'm so much older than a lot of these people. So I'm from that you know, the first generation, I guess, or whatever. But uh -huh. there's that one generation that kind of came through that with Neil Blender and all of them, and Neil's great, and, you know, Lance and all those characters are really great stuff. And 
a lot of the people that are doing art now or that started doing art after that, they all go back to Neil. They all act like Neil is the person that got them, you know, made them realize that like, well, there's other choices here. You don't have to do this, this, or this. You can, uh-huh. you can do, you can do whatever kind of thing. Uh, Hago, Hago's the one that basically got Neil and all them into art. Hago, uh-huh. Hago, missing link. He's the one that kind of got Neil into art and all the kind of, oh, cool. which I think is great. Like I, I love stuff like that. So. Is he still around? Hago? Yeah. Yeah. He's totally, I'll, I'll, when this is over, I'll send you his, his email and address and stuff. Cause oh, he's, appreciate that. he's still really good friends with all those guys. And I think he, he was in a band with Neil for a little while. Oh, and cool. uh, I think he's, I think he has a trick named after him, but I can't remember what the name of it is and stuff. Okay. And uh, Eric met me and had no idea about the music. He just knew about the art and, and saw the kind of art I was doing and everything. It's like, Oh man, would you, would you want to, do a project with the kids and I'm so, you know, anything that's like that, sign me up. I, where do you want me to be? You know, this mm-hmm. is great. And, kind of thing. and uh, so we got to be family. And in that, in that time, he's, you know, his friends have all gone, Oh shit, that's Tim. He was in monkey wrench. He was in so-and-so kind of thing. And they were telling him all this stuff. And so Beth and me, our birthdays are March 8th and March 11th. Right. Oh, and, when the school stuff happens, it always happens in June. It's the very first of June. Mm-hmm. So, and there, you know, like what happens is you go the, the weekend before the, the last school day or the kind of thing that Monday and we paint the murals and we do whatever kind of thing. And then Monday we're all there so that the kids can come up and see the murals and you're the kind of there to talk to them and stuff. And then they do kind of a thing to show all the kids art from all these different, you know, projects that everybody had them do for the year kind of deal. And there's usually a little bit of music, you know, somebody might be playing or something. So, Eric, not telling me, Eric decided what he wanted to do was because he's kind of, he likes to kind of, you know, prank people. Not, not prank in a bad sort of way, but just kind of get you, you know, kind of type thing. And he really wanted to do something to me, uh, for me, from my 60th birthday, right? So he says, oh, we're going to have uh, Steve Alba is going to come play guitar and Mike Watt and uh, um, uh, Chuck Treese are going to come play guitar and you know, play music for the kids. I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, it would be great. So, um, you know, it gets closer to the time and, uh, and then, and that's all I know about it. And then it gets closer and closer to the time. And then he's telling me, oh, well, uh, you know, Steve, Steve can't do it. So now we're going to have, a, um, God, I, was, I totally go blank every time I was going to say his name, uh, plays guitar, Ray, Ray Barbie, oh. and uh, is going to play. So I thought, okay, Ray Barbie, Mike Watt, Chuck Treese, they're going to play jazz. I mean, that's what I figured, you know, cool kind of thing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm there for, we, I think we were there for about three or four days, you know, before painting stuff and everything. And kids would, hey, Tim, you know, kind of thing. And kind of, and I, you know, he, Eric said to me, he said, well, you've been here, you know, all these different years. They all know you now, you know, cause, and I'm pretty, you know, Texas, I'm pretty boisterous and like, you know, kind of, hey, you know, kind of, and so whatever kind of thing. And so the day that it happened, I, that's when I did that really big mural that says, uh, um, know your history or something like that. I can't remember now, but we are all making history and it's, and it'd be like Jim Thorpe and then underneath him's a kid with a football and there's Amelia Earhart and there's a little girl with an airplane, you know, toy airplane and there's, you know, John Lewis and there's a little kid with a backpack and just, you know, this different kind of, and it's, it's pretty big and I'm pretty proud of it stuff. And, um, and so they set up in front of that mural right out in the playground kind of thing. 
And uh, so I thought, oh, that's cool. You know, that's pretty funny and stuff. And yeah, there's kind of like, there's kind of more people kind of showing up that don't normally show up for this stuff. And there's people with video cameras and things. But I kept thinking, well, it's Mike Watt. You know, people are here because Mike's here and stuff. And, and uh, so when they get ready to play, I go back around them so that I can take, because I take photos all the time, too. I'm, like, really into, like, Polaroids and toy cameras. and just, Like, I had Gary Winogram when I was going to college. So I'm, I've been doing photos for a long time. Right. And yeah, so. I went behind them so I could take pictures of the kids, you know, kind of type thing. Well, they go into no, they go into the big boy song. And, uh, and it was so completely out of context to me that the first thing in my mind, cause I thought they were going to play jazz, you know, kind of thing. And the first thing in my mind was like, Holy shit, they're playing black flag. And I went out around to the back of the crowd and was doing this stuff with everybody and laughing and stuff and still having no idea that this is no, you know, and kids are like, ah, and I'm going to, you know, singing like, I mean, literally fourth graders or fifth graders singing, my head's about to bust. If something doesn't happen, I'm going to blow. You know, it's just like the most amazing. they get near the end of it like I kind of look up and people are all taking pictures of me and filming all this stuff and everything and I look up and I see Watt looking at me grinning and go and point and then I just went oh shit like and I realized what was going on and then they went straight into fun 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 kind of deal right and so then it was just like okay this is nuts and so Eric had taught all the kids those two songs like okay. I guess they picked or whatever kind of thing so the next year, Eric wanted to do another something that was loud and, and that kind of stuff because all the kids really loved it and they wanted to see. So we decided we were going to do uh, Everyday People, that's Sly and the Family Stone song, and we were going to do this crazy free jazz thing that, that uh, uh, Total Sound did, and I've done it a couple of different times with people and stuff like that where basically you get going, somebody's holding it down, uh, Mike was holding down the bass line and everything, and it just goes. And it's, it's almost like a Pharaoh Sanders-y kind of type piece, and then, you know, we're, of course, I'm handing guitars off to people. It, 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 it's great. And like, and, uh, especially with all those kids. And uh, So we decide that's what we're going to do. And uh, That's handing me water. Uh, we decide that's what we're going to do, and uh, that's when I met Haka. And uh, because like we, we decided, well, everybody needs to get together one time to just kind of see if this is, you know, how this. And so there was, you know, there was the adults, you know, that were going to play, you know, like these two pieces. So I kind of all show up and where we're at, it was some club that's down there in that area in Huntington or somewhere that everybody plays at all the time. Cause uh, Mark Waters was kind of uh, running it or working oh, at yeah. it or something. So he Mark's had really great. Yeah. Mark's really great too. He's really good. So the first thing that happens, we get out of the car. I don't know how I go from, uh, you know, Adam. I don't know a lot of these. Like, I didn't, I, 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 
a lot of times you'll meet people, but then it's just all you did was exchange names and you don't really remember, you know, it's not like this where we're getting to be family now because we're sitting here talking, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. But so, but Hago, I'd never met in my life and I get out of the car and here comes this big guy come walking up to me and he's just the first thing out of his mouth looking at me was, I want to be a problem. I want to cause a scene kind of thing, which is like the old big boy song. And I'm kind yeah. of looking at him like, what, you know, like, and he's great. He's, and I guess him and Neil and, and Lance and them were in some band that played that song, or whatever kind of deal. And so, so anyway, we do those two songs, super, super corny. And I can't even begin to, it, it took Beth and me about two months before we could verbalize what had happened, <laughs> but it was the most amazing. Like I can't even begin like, but one of the drummers didn't take his glasses off because he was crying. Like kids are just like, it was unfucking believable. And like, and like at one point, like there was a little girl talking to Mark that was saying like, man, my, my I think my uncle's going to, I might be able to get one of his guitars. Like I really love guitars and stuff, you oh, know, kind man. of thing. And, you know, cause none of these kids, nobody has money and stuff. There's not any kind of, yeah. and so this is kind of the first time that they're around a bunch of instruments and just this crazy. And we set up in a circle to where they were all with us, you know, kind of thing. So we're out with them and all that kind of, and, uh, and we get going on this thing. And the other thing I, I did was I told, I, I said to Eric, okay, well, if we're going to do this, like, get a hold of the junior high school that's across the street there, whatever school that is, and see if some of the band will come over here. Because if, if kids see kids their own age playing a tuba or whatever, I want to play one of those. You know, it's like it, yeah. it's, it's that whole community planting seeds, trying to, if you can get one kid out of 50 kids to go start skating or go play music or do art or start a zine or a podcast, that. Absolutely. You can't, add, that's the most amazing, yeah. like, that's amazing. You know, you know, kind of, so here we go. We go into this thing and like it, I can't even begin. It was just like, and, it, and Mark, Beth saw it. I, I heard the story cause I didn't actually see what happened, but I kept the guitar on through everyday people. So it was really cool hearing all these little kids like singing, there goes the fat one. They won't accept that. You know, uh-huh. it was great. I think, but as soon as we started into the, the freedom piece, the, man, my guitar was off and I'm already handed it to some kid, just like, here, you, you play, you know, this is, here we no go, way. you know, kind of thing. And uh, so Mark handed his guitar to that little girl and the little girl was playing and the big, I get choked up thinking about it now, like the biggest smile ever. And then literally handed it back, sunk down on her knees. All her friends are around her. She's crying because she's just, I mean, I'm saying it's corny. I get choked up. I can't, but it's, it's a fact. It's the truth. It was the most amazing. I can't even begin. It was like the most amazing. I'm I'm sure, I'm sure that Jeff and Murph and those guys get the same sort of thing when they, they're doing all the parks at the Indian reservations, you know, and then just the, the, what happens that first day, you know, kind of. So, so while this is going on, I made a point because I'd, I'd already been lucky enough to have that switch switch to where I realized that, you know, that there's a whole lot more levels to this stuff than just, oh, cool song, you know, kind of thing, or cool piece of music or art or whatever. Uh. I made a point to walk, and we're playing, and I walked to every single person, like Randy was there from No Age and all that, and I'm just kind of saying to each person, like looking them in the eye, because you could see, you could see the light bulbs going off. And it was just like, this, Damn, this so is cool. it. This is what the, this is why we do what we're doing. This is it. The funny thing is when it went viral, people started tagging me on like people's you know, you know what they were saying and stuff. And one of them is really great because it's just like, 
well, what's that old guy trying to do out there? Like, look at Pops. He's having a good time. Or you know, having no, because why should they know who the fuck I am? You know, kind of thing. It's just, it, was, it was just funny, you know, and then one, then somebody was just, I mean, like you were talking about, you know, there's all these people going, this is the greatest thing ever, kind of thing, and then there's one or two people, you know, kind of thing, and one guy was writing something about, well, how come they're not doing any kind of black or Mexican music and what, you know, a bunch of old guys just trying to relive their pat, touchdown pat, you know, it's just not, and I don't usually answer to that stuff, but I answered to that one. And I like wrote the guy, I had no idea who the guy was and I wrote him back and I just said, well, in actuality, the first time we did this, we did sign the family stone. And then the second time we did this, we did, why can't we be friends? This time was because the teacher who's putting this on wanted to show the kids punk rock. And so we decided Minor Threat would be a great song for what it said. And not sorry, you're completely wrong on this one, you know, kind of deal. Right. And and then a bunch of people were just sort of, you know, like going at, you know, like right on, you know, that kind of stuff. And then the guy started following me and was friend friended, you know, so it was like, <laughs> you could tell he liked, like, oh shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why do you got to take the piss out of it always? Damn it. I think this year they decided they were going to do uh, uh if the kids are united was what they were going to sing. Cause Hago decided he wanted to, cause I wanted like the next time this year, I wanted to surprise Hago. I wanted to get him, you know, and Hago's like a really, was real into all the mod stuff. He still is kind of thing and everything. And I thought, man, let's do my generation. That'd be the greatest thing ever to like be playing my generation to see what Hago does, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> but they ended up not doing it because of the stutter in that song. They were worried that some kid that stutters might think they're trying to, right. you know, and I said, well, we don't, you don't have to stutter in the song. Just sing the words. It's not, you know. Yeah. God damn. There's but anyway, so, so then that's what we decided. So. Oh, man. But Mark's always, Mark, Mark's always a big part of that, too. Mark Waters. He always kind of gets the PA together and the instruments and all that. He really does. He's great. And now he's, well, now he's like the, the kind of the coach for the Olympic team or something. Or he's like. Oh, some, yeah. I think hey, so. Yeah, which is pretty freaking amazing. That's. He took care of us on the road. We went on a couple of skate uh, rock tours uh through the u.s and he was the uh guy that made sure that each club had the line set up and like just dealt with everything and yeah. got us yeah he's good yeah, he, he's he right. likes to he's work really did you have a chance to get to know jeff phillips yeah i totally need jeff and i've got uh i've got this big crazy devil man's head that he painted for me because he was really into devil man and that's what that sims board that's got the you know, oh, yeah, the, the man on there. I'm surprised they didn't get sued or something because I mean that's straight up just taking you know the, the sky in Japan's art and putting it on. Uh, I don't think anybody asked any permission or not. I have no idea. But uh, but yeah, I knew Jeff when he was like a kid and stuff. So you know, I mean we weren't super close, but we definitely knew each other and like and uh, and I've got like a model that he 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 got really into uh, Gundam and all those kind of Japanese things and but he would take all the pieces from models and make his own like his own different characters and stuff so I have one of those he painted my devil man's head thing and then when he passed Allison uh, there was about four or five boards that were you know just totally beat to hell and you know still had trucks on them or whatever kind of thing. And she gave me one of those. I have one of those at the, hanging in the studio. When you, when you see those photos, you can see it kind of sitting over there. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, two things that I've heard about him from Jake that were like, cause Jake always, I mean, everyone's had Jeff on a pedestal and stories and whatever, you know? And one of the things was he was one of the only guys, if not the only guy that could do a 540 out of a ham plant. He was like, yeah, look yeah. at this and he'd always show me this 
one strip and then uh, some about get winning a contest on acid. Like it just was like, that's like the guy that pitched the no hitter on acid, you know, the no, no guy. She told me, you better get up. You got to go pitch. I said, pitch, I pitch tomorrow. Hell, what are you talking about? Cause I had got up in the middle of the morning and took some more acid. Oh, I love that oh, one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's but, so good. Uh, no, the, the cool thing, I'll tell you a story about Jeff where, uh, okay, Matt Hoffman, right? I met yeah. Matt Hoffman at Ian's 50th birthday party. They had a big surprise thing for Ian Mackay, and they really wanted me and Beth to be there. So we go up to D.C., and we're at the party and all this kind of stuff and everything. And I, you know, I skated. I don't know anything about BMX. I don't know who Matt Hoffman is. I don't know what kind of – and. At the end of the night, like there's like four or five of us in a circle, just kind of doing what we're doing now, just telling a bunch of stories and, you know, kind of helping out. And and Matt's sitting in a chair, kind of, you know, up on the edge of the chair listening and stuff. And Ian turns and goes, oh, Tim, did you meet? And before he's finished, Matt's like up in my face and just gone, you know, because he's just like, I guess he came to big boys all the time and just all the, you know, he's just really – yeah, I'm super honored. I'm, I don't know who you are, but this is great. Thank you. You know, kind of thing. And then we go home and we watch that thing on Netflix and just went, holy fucking shit. Like, this is like <laughs> amazing. And so through time, we now we're really good friends and we're pretty close and stuff. And he's great and everything. But that first meeting, he told me one of the best Jeff Phillips stories I've ever heard in my life where he he said, and once again, you know, people now just can't comprehend that back then people, like when I broke this arm at, at that pool, literally every single doctor at the hospital was just like, so, so you were skating on the sidewalk and you fell into the pool? Like they just it, it, it couldn't, couldn't comprehend right? this at all, you know, kind of thing. And like, so, so Matt was telling me the story that him and Jeff went on a tour to the malls. You know, and they had like a half pipe. So they, uh, Matt was riding a bike and Jeff was on his board and stuff. And after about two, three days into it, Matt sits Jeff down. And he's just like, man, what? Like, how, how do you know? How do you set up? Like, how do you know where you're going? Like, what do you, you don't ever do the same tricks. You don't do the same lines. You don't, how, how do you set up kind of thing? He said, Jeff just kind of sat there for a minute and looked at him like, let the board go where it's going kind of thing, you know, kind of <laughs> And Matt said, bing, the light bulb went off. And like, literally, like, that's Jeff's or Matt's mantra now for the, everything in his life. You know, just let it go where it's going and kind of thing, you know, kind of, which I'm living proof of that one, you know, kind of deal. But just, I just, that's the coolest story. That's the, you know. That's it. And there's also, there's a really great story with, with uh, that I, I got to tell Matt this. Uh, they had a thing in San Marcos and they had me come down there and Matt was there in the skate park and stuff. And uh, so I got to tell Matt this story finally and like face to face, you know, instead of, you know, emailing him or whatever. But so I had a, one of the shows that I got to do that I was just completely like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Was I, I did a, I did a solo show at the Rosa Parks Museum, you know, like in Montgomery, which was like, it's a, you know, like, Holy shit. And like, and I, always have a friend's wall if it's my show because community, you know, and, and that's the one thing about art that, that people don't do. Like people, they all hold their cards so close that they don't like, you know, Oh, you do art too. Cool. Put something on the wall, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. So Matt at that point, I don't know when he started painting, but it, at some point he was, he was putting up post pictures of his, you know, he's painting people's pets and he would paint different things and kind of, 
And so I said to Matt, I said, hey, we're going to have this show. Do you want to put something? Tim, that's, that's a museum. I was going, yeah, but you do art. Do you want to put something on the wall? Tim, I was just like, put something on the fucking wall. <laughs> so he did it. He, he stole a bus sign. Which, but he got a bus sign and he painted Rosa Parks and he painted the condor, like flying over the thing over here. But great. Put it up. And lots of people had a big, a lot of people on the friend's wall and stuff. Okay. The night of the opening. Here comes these four or five kids. And one of them may even be listening to this thing right now. Who knows? Kind of thing. And, like, and they're there because there is absolutely nothing to do in this town. They don't care about art. They don't care about any of this kind. They heard some old guy skates that did this stuff, and they're in there because they – but they're not listening. They're not looking. They don't, they don't care kind of thing. And they're standing at the friend's wall, but they're talking. They're not looking at the art. They're just kind of – that's just where they happen to be, right, kind of thing. And I took a chance because there was one Hesher looking kid. And that's usually the one that would ride the BMX stuff, or at least when I was, you know, kind of, and, uh, and I walked up to him. I didn't say who I was. I didn't say any, cause who the fuck cares, you know, kind of thing. But I walk up and I just said, so do you, do you ride bikes? And the kid's like, yeah, you know, just this kind of, cause who the fuck's this old guy and what the hell, you know, kind of. And I said, well, do you, do you know who Matt Hoffman is? Yeah. You know, just this whole attitude thing. I said, well, he did that painting right there. And they all turn, and I keep saying that, but switch, light bulb, everything goes, you can see. And they didn't say it, but you could visibly see and hear like, man, art, art's cool. Art is cool. And then they literally spent the rest of the time going around the whole, and it was a big museum, and going around the whole thing, looking at all the stuff I'd done and reading all the, I mean, I was just like, this is, and that's, that's yeah. that level again, you know, just, just because, you know, Matt thinking, oh, it's this music, but yeah, like what you just did, so you triggered some kid. Yeah, influence. You know, so. That's amazing. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, Matt Hoffman is one gnarly dude, that Netflix. Series. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's, he's so down to earth. He's really, really great. Really, really great guy. So I really love him. It's funny how we started in San Francisco meeting Mofo and end up at an art <laughs> show with Matt Hoffman. I love, <laughs> I love that, that. That's what I'm saying. People, people have a hell of a time when they interview me because you, you can tell once you get me going, I got all kinds of stuff. And people are constantly trying to get me to write a book or like do some kind of something that like, because it is it's just, it's endless. It's like there's, you know, it's just. Have that's you thought about it. writing a book? No, not really, because there's just too much other stuff going on. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. and I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, you never say never, so I don't know why. You need you know, an assistant of. to record you and, and lay it all out, <laughs> and then you can come in and edit it. But You're you don't hired. Wanna... If you want to do it, you can do it. <laughs> you, can be the, you can be the one that does that, and you're hired. So, yeah. You know, get um, ready, because you're going to be like, – it's funny, they, they – uh, the first time I got asked to, like, you know, all through the 90s, besides all this, like, all through all this stuff, I've always worked. I worked at the libraries, and I'd, I always had a job at the libraries, and then I would have a job, like, from 90 to 2000, I did stained glass, too, and just a lot of different things. And uh, and so through all of this stuff, I've always worked, and, and, uh, and you know, the recording the bands all through the 90s and all the bands going on and stuff, everything. And the first band that asked me to come and uh, record them, like overseas, like in Italy, right, kind of thing. And this is before any of this or like Facebook or any, it was just email kind of deal. And they asked me if I would come record and, and okay, so me and Beth will go there and, you know, kind of, and 
the next thing I know, I start getting emails from all these people. They're just like, hey, can you come here? Can you do something? It's like, well, how, how the hell did you even know I'm sitting in a library working? How do you even know I'm coming? I'm not like on there. I'm coming to, you know. So one of the ones was, some, there was a couple, Bigor and Viva, that were asking me if I would come and uh, talk to the college in Ljubljana, right? And at the time, I couldn't even pronounce Ljubljana because it's it spelled L-B-J-L-U-A-L-J. I thought it was a joke. You know, it might, it might as well be mofo writing to me, just kind of like kidding around and like, and so then they kept writing. And when they kept writing, I realized, oh shit, this is, this is real, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, well, if you, if you want me to come and do questions and answers, sure, I'll come. But if you want me to be there going, I'm Tim Kerr, blah, blah, blah. Who the fuck are you? I'm, I'm no, I'm not going to, and so I went and did questions and answers, and and uh, and it was you know there's two three hundred people there, and they they they, they would ask questions like um, it's really hard to get your music over here, so why are you so object to major labels because it's really hard to, and then me I would turn it you know that's why I'm so into sunrise and a lot of that stuff because of words you know kind of thing I said well you you just answered your own question because when you're on a major label it's not your music anymore, and you you literally see people in the crowd notebook paper like writing and it's just like i mean even at one point beth even goes i'm impressed you know kind of thing <laughs> yeah. just like, well you gotta sprinkle your anyway, that, that, out there to give the influence well the gist of all that is that that you know like we're doing here and people are probably saying that it's like you get me going and i just you, you know, all you have to do is ask one question and it just turns into this whole you know, yeah, yeah we, we start yeah. out here and then we're in some art gallery and somewhere out, you know, kind of, so. <laughs> um, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I was hoping maybe you could at least sprinkle a little bit about like the end of the band and the, the bad brains thing and, and what exactly <laughs> happened. I wasn't waiting for that. I wasn't, I didn't expect end of the band. I was expecting bad brains because that's usually how everybody, every time somebody wants to ask me that, that's usually what happens. It's like, oh, well, I don't know if you really want to. <laughs> well, I, I know. Um, the, be the best thing to do, okay, the best thing to do is go to timkerr.net and go to the FAQs and I've got the whole freaking thing written out. But, mm. uh, but, because I do get asked every once in a while. But I will say that the stuff that's written is the facts. There's not any baggage. That's it. Did happen. It did, and all of the bad. It wasn't just HR. It was all of them except for Earl, the brother, uh, the drummer. And uh, because I remember when I came back home, and then uh, MDC was on one side of the sidewalk, and Bad Brains are on the other side of the sidewalk, and that's Brick Wall. The, the words Brick Wall is all about this whole this thing, and uh. forget this because the first thing I did was came into the house to make sure Beth was okay because she had called me and she was crying and everybody that knows Beth knows that that's like holy shit you know kind of thing and uh and I just remember Earl sitting in a chair like this and looking up and I could hear all this shit going on out in the yard and uh 
just going, man, I, I'm sorry, Tim. I'm, I'm really sorry, kind of thing. And you knew right then, okay, division, here we go. You're not a, you're not a united front anymore because somebody's starting to kind of question, you know, what's going on here kind of type thing. So, yeah, they stole some shit. Yeah, they didn't give Biscuit the money that they were supposed to give him. Um, it was in a sealed envelope, um, and it felt weighted like something was in there. Uh, when you opened it up, it was this whole big, long tirade about, will you burn in hell, faggot, and all this kind of stuff, and just like, holy shit kind of deal. And that's why on lullabies, you, I have that thing written where, yes, kids, we are from Babylon, you know, kind of thing, because HR at one point, they came to the house. Uh, they stayed with us for a couple of days. And, you know, we didn't know anything about Rastafarian at the time at all. It was just another religion. So we're trying to be respectful and, you know, like just, you know, and you, they're the only band. And our, ba- our house has been youth hostile since like 1978 with all these bands and people. They're the only band that have ever fucked up and stole stuff. Only one. And, and, but they come to the house they're trying to find out what we're like. And because at that time, nobody really, we didn't really know anything about the bad brains. We, I think Biscuit knew about them, but we didn't really know anything about them, what they sound like and stuff. And uh, they asked what we sound like. And I put on the, the that first 12 inch that Spot did, the, that's got fun, fun, fun. And uh, we're not, you know, the, and I wasn't paying attention and I put it down on the side of We Got Soul, you know, that horn thing with us singing. And it was them just like, they, they were already amazed because I had a bunch of reggae records. And then they were just like, this is you guys? And you, you're hardcore? And this is you guys? You know, it's like, because, you know, I can't, I can't stress enough. And skating is the same way. There's no fucking rule. There shouldn't be any rules, you know? Mm-hmm. So why are you trying to, like, can't you know, it, it, yeah. it's like, no, that's not what self-expression is. Self-expression is supposed to not have any rules and no boundaries. And why, why put limits on yourself? Do what you want to do, you know, kind of thing. So we go to the show. Uh, at this point in time, we, we hadn't heard all the crazy, like, you know, just, you know, women should be barefoot cooking at home and just all this total Jerry Farwell, just nuts, kind of crazy shit. Um, they didn't come see the dicks now now i know why because they saw pictures of gary floyd dressed like mr vine and just like you know there's no way in hell kind of thing but they came it was us and then them were the last two bands um and they were great like you know it's, it's them at their prime kind of type thing and there's definitely one of the better bands i ever saw live but when it was over hr was hugging biscuit beth and i were standing pretty close to all this going on HR all of a sudden just kind of steps back and she's just like, oh, but by the way, Biscuit, are, are you gay? And Biscuit's like, yeah, kind of thing. And Wah! just started screaming, holy hell, and this is Babylon, and San Francisco's not Babylon, Austin, Texas is Babylon, and this is like, and just going crazy, that kind of thing. And so that night at home, of course, is a little bit different, but we're trying to be respectful and stuff, but it's a little bitty house that we had. It was a four-room house. And all these bands stayed there. And so here we all are in this little house. It's me and Beth and Bad Brains. And we're trying to be, you know, but it's kind of like this is kind of. And Biscuit had gotten them pot. And once again, I, I've never, if you can believe it, it doesn't have anything to do with straight edge or anything. I have never smoked. I've never smoked anything. You know, I've eaten it in brownies like once or twice and didn't like it at all. And it was uh-huh. just like, but 
but never smoked any. So I don't know how much the pot was. I don't have a clue. But Biscuit got them some pot, and they were supposed to pay Biscuit back. So the next day when they're, we're trying to get them out of the house, we're trying to be respectful, but it's just kind of like, okay, we're over this. This is like and, – uh, and I went to work. Beth stayed home. Beth called me in tears and was just like, you need to come home right now. You need to come home kind of thing. And I come back home and MDCs and one, like I'm saying, one side of the sidewalk, they're, they're out there screaming at each other and all this uh, human nature, you know, because you're, you, you haven't done anything. You're in the right, but you're shaken because it's like, I have to go out there and deal with this. And like, and, and even though you haven't, you're the one that's right. You know what I'm saying? Kind of just a weird. So I go out there and I, you know, it's like, okay, if you're going to do this, you need to go to where they're staying, but no more here. Shut the fuck up. This is it. Got to, and I just remember Dr. No or whatever the guitar player's name is telling me, well, yeah, but Tim, but it's the truth. It's the truth kind of thing. I was just like, I, whatever. It's, it's your truth, whatever, but not. And then it took them a while to get out of the house. And we gave HR a, a roll-up, bed roll-up thing. And because he didn't have a bed and stuff, and we finally got him out of the house, and they handed me that envelope, but it was sealed to biscuit, so I'm not going to open this up. It's sealed to biscuit, you know. So mm-hmm. I didn't check to see if there was money or anything like that. And uh, and you know, back back in that period of time, if you fucked something up or you did something, it, people knew pretty soon. Like when the phones start ringing, and people were knowing that, like, okay, now next time you go to Austin, don't don't go to Tim and them's house because you know they fucked us over and they did the, you know that kind of type. So by the time they got to Houston, word was out, and supposedly their tires got slashed in Houston because of the shit they did to Biscuit and us and all this and uh, it, it was it, it if back then magazines like spin or any of these kind of things were interested at all in what we were all doing back then uh, you none of you would even be asking me this question because you would all i mean it was that big of a deal at that point in time like yeah, when this all crazy. went down and uh and it just you know then mdc went on tour and for their first record and every single fanzine that they talked about they talked about this incident and and our gay friends and that's kind of t- and then all of a sudden we started getting letters and you'd get letters that would be like, man, you guys, this is the greatest. You come to our place. Are you get you fucking faggots. You ever show up here. We're kicking your ass. You know, just this, it was nuts. And it, and it, you know, I'm sure I'm, I know there was homophobic stuff going on oh, yeah. well before this ever happened. But all of a sudden the division started after this incident. Like now you've got homo core. Now you've got the, you know, it's like there was a real distinct thing that was never there before this happened right um the other thing that drives me freaking crazy and the, the, but i don't because i if you had a bad brains poster behind you right now i could care less i mean what well, yeah, they were a great band back then whatever i'm not to each his own i really I, don't I care <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, uh, but the um the thing that drives me nuts is this whole pma thing because people act like the bad brains started that you know the positive mental attitude also that shit was going on well before the bad brains all of us were helping each other out everybody would had a total positive attitude everybody no it's just the bad brains had a song about it and now oh man they're the ones that that's that's what made the scene all positive and stuff 
man, fuck you. No, that's not positive. I guess if you don't like, you know, any transgender or you want women to stay at home or you want so and so, yeah, I guess if that's your positive mental attitude, sure. You know, kind of, you know what I'm saying? So that's, and to this day, I still see it constantly, you know, like PMA, bad brains kind of thing. It's just like, that's, you know, that not, oh, not my PMA at all. You know, that's just like, not at all. So, all out and because when their documentary came out which i that's a whole then that's what i'm saying just read that you'll see they two days before the premiere they wrote to us asking if they could use some songs kind of thing you know and it just turned into this ridiculous like because the the, the original clip they had uh talking about us was all the stuff that we could see their ass i mean we it was just most unbelievable huh. slander biscuit's not even here anymore to defend himself they're saying stuff about biscuit made a pass at hr which no that didn't happen i never saw biscuit make a pass at anybody you know kind of thing and like you know they, they were the real deal they were cross-dressing faggots and blah, blah, blah. You know, just this whole Oh, it, it's wow. it was amazing like so if people are interested go read that and then they can read the tim kerr records thing too because that's the two i wrote because okay. i kind of get asked yeah, yeah no lot. the thing that strikes to me though when you're telling the story though is it kind of parallels what's going on today i think the thing i'm hearing from you is like why are there like these categories and why are you trying to package something up or whatever right and uh that's what's happening today it's like, oh, yeah. there's so many different things. Like, we're more divided now than ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. But but their problem, not my problem. Obviously, not your problem. You know, kind of thing. It's, it, that's their problem. Yeah. You know, kind of. Does that make sense? I mean, it, it's like, our do problem. You, because do we, we feel obligated to try to, like, I don't know. My quest is to try to help that not be anyone's problem. Like we got to figure well, out how I to think, educate maybe. Yeah. But I think, I think at one point it was, but I think it's just like punk rock or, and he's like, I, I literally, it's funny. I just, somebody, we kind of did this last week with somebody that's doing this art show with a bunch of people in a, and I was trying to explain to him that, like, you know, I don't even really like saying punk rock anymore because punk rock has such a uniform now and a sound and a set of rules and all that, which was absolutely not at all what we were doing. That's not what we were doing. You know, that's just not, and it's not what I do now. So to me, if you're going to put me in some kind of banner or box, DIY, that's what I am, DIY. That's what skating is. That's what all of this stuff is. It all starts with DIY, do it yourself. And then all of a sudden, somebody puts a name on it, gives it a right. uniform. And, and, you know, I mean, beatniks, hippies, punks, all this shit started with me and you sitting here talking right now going, hmm, I, we can't do this here. We can't, let's, let's do this over here. If you want to come, come on, kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, and it gets a name and it's, you know, it turns into whatever it turns into kind of thing. So, so I think I like that early on, just like we all do with the music we listen to or whatever, I tried to get people to listen or try to you know, educate people and stuff. But I think you finally come to the point and you realize walk your walk, just be yourself, you know, and if somebody, somebody picks up one of the seeds from you, cool, you know, and they start doing what they're, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you don't need to get on the soapbox and try to preach or try to convince somebody something. Just do what you do. And right. like, perfect example of the story I told earlier with Matt, you know, it's like, here's Matt just doing what he does, put it up on the wall kind of thing. And like, now all of a sudden there's five kids that like, oh shit, aren't right. cool? Lead by example. And like, it, 
you know, instead of him like trying to go oh, down, all you could sit down and I want to talk to you. You know, kind of, it's just. Actions uh, speak know. louder than words. Like all those cliches yeah. are like actually real. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and you know, and it, you know, there is an aspect of being a teacher, but we're kind of all student teachers in a sense, you know, because we're all learning. We should be all learning all the time. So you're a student, but at the same time, you don't know what, Right. Who knows what anybody's going to get from me and you talking right now that they're going to pick up on. You know, they may pick up on some sentence that didn't even, you know, wasn't even anything that important that me and you were saying. But all of a sudden now that's their truth and they're going to do whatever they're going to do with it. So, yeah. Right. Was that the beginning of the end for the band or not necessarily? No, the, the band, like, basically, if you're in a band, don't go on tour for more than about a month. If you go on tour for more than a month, it turns into the vacation trip with all your family, and here are the boys all sitting in the back, and you're basically in that station wagon, and you're going, don't you cross this line right here, and the other person's doing that with their little <laughs> finger over the line, you know, just to kind of fight. So it just, we needed to take a break. It just got to a point where we really need to come home and take a break. Like we just, you know, we weren't going to break up. I didn't even think we had broken up or anything for a while, but it was just, let's get back home. And uh, it was right around the time that Metallica was passing out those cassettes. It's when those cassettes were starting to come out with Metallica and stuff. And Chris was really into all that kind of music, which I, you know, once again, it's kind of like elevator music to me. Like it's, it's okay, but I don't really, it's not something I really pay attention Mm -hmm. to or listen to. Mike, who had been our roadie the whole time, Mike Carroll, which is why you've got that monkey wrench record is because my, he really wanted to be in a band really bad, but he was super, super shy. And he was really, he, he was really, really well read in the sense of he already knew about all the sixties music. He already knew about all psychedelic stuff. You know, the music, he just, you know, he, he looked rockabilly before the stray cats came out, you know I mean? Just all this stuff that he, because he would look at the face, he would read all these different magazines from back then and everything. He's, he's great. He's, and he's sadly passed, you know, like last year he passed or the year before. And, uh, so Mike really wanted to be in a band. And I said, okay, well, when, and what was going to happen was we were going to come home and we were just going to take a break for a couple of months and let's all just like, you know, okay, Chris, you can start a band like that, play one time and me and Mike will start this thing and we'll play one time. And, and that's what I told Mike. I said, look, tell me what you want to do and play me the kind of stuff you're talking about and I'll write some stuff and play some covers or whatever and we'll play at Continental Club one night and it'll be your night. We'll do whatever you want to do and that, that'll be it. And that's that was Poison 13. We still had a couple of shows we had to play. And there was one show where, and once again, 84, 85, everything changed. And if you think about it, it's like, you know, the, the first wave of punk was mostly art school people and older people that were in college and stuff and RTF people and just all over. It was more of an art kind of scene. It wasn't kids kind of mm-hmm. deal. Um, we 
went to L.A. that first trip, and we went to the big, huge Santa Monica Civic Center show that Black Flag and TSOL, it wasn't TSOL, it was Black Flag and Minutemen, and I can't remember who all played at this thing. And, uh, and there was a big, huge riot and all this kind of crazy shit in this. But it was the first time we'd ever seen all these kids, and it's the first time we saw this stuff, you know, the Huntington Strut and all that. Yeah. So we came back home realizing that, oh, shit, if we want to – and not, not to keep it going to – for. 20, 30, however many years it's been now that I'm going to be sitting on some talk show talking about that time. We were just thinking, man, if we want to keep this going in our town, this is so much fun and just so we need to get kids. Because once again, nobody's playing any of this on the radio. Nobody knew who the psychedelic furs were. Nobody knew any of this shit because it just wasn't written. It wasn't, you know, you didn't see it in anything kind of right. thing. And, uh, and, so we went back home and we started trying to find all ages places and halls that we could throw a show on and let's go flyer the high schools and get kids to come because they're going to be the ones that start up bands and stuff. And that, and that was going on everywhere, even though we didn't really realize it, but it's going on, you know, in Detroit, it's going on in DC, it's going on and, you know, the people start realizing, okay, wait, let's do this, you know, kind of, you know, get this going. And then, then you started having hardcore. That's when that whole thing started up and the, and black flag started touring everywhere and sharing, you know, that's the thing. That's the difference between what we were all doing DIY and the art people say they were doing DIY is we shared. And uh, because black flag shared all the phone numbers that everybody had and you would call up Chuck and be like, okay, well, we're going to go to Wisconsin is there someplace that, Oh yeah. Call up Robin from tar babies and go to this place and go, you know, it was just this, which should have that should that should be what on oh, skating was like that. And, uh, hopefully, it still is. Where you would call up and hey, we're coming to San Diego. Where can we skate? Yeah. Can we go skate with you? you know, kind of. So eighty four, eighty five, like is when you started having the skinhead bullshit. You started having all this stuff and just you know shows. It just sucked. It wasn't. It was just turning. You know, for better or for worse, it was. It changed. It, it and what I was originally getting at before I got going on that whole rant or right before this was that if you think about it, you've got that first generation of kids that we, you know, and, and Necros and all these different minor thread, all these different bands got going and coming to shows. They never had anything like this. This is nothing they've ever had before. They knew that we need to keep the, to keep this going. You need to kind of don't tear up the bathroom. Don't cause a bunch of shit. Like let's kind of, um, second generation of kids, same thing, because they, they didn't have nothing. Third generation of kids, by 84, 85, this happened every week. They had this stuff all the time. Uh, they didn't understand that this was some special thing that had, you know, how it started or how it was going. Mm. Uh, this was just everyday kind of thing. And I'm pumped, man. Fuck you. You're telling me, like, don't tear up this club and stuff? Fuck you. I'm punk rock. I'm going to go tear up the bathroom. You know, it kind of – it just – and so that night, there was four or five of those kids that were just causing shit all the fucking time. And, uh, and they were with this guy that was an older guy. He was probably Biscuit's age or maybe older than that. And he was passing out Nazi paraphernalia to, like, little kids. But it was real obvious what he's doing. It's not like KKK. He's obviously picking up little boys, you know. It's like it doesn't have anything to do with some scary bigger picture. It's just... Yeah. And Biscuit had had run-ins with him before. And so Biscuit saw him in the crowd 
and Biscuit pointed him out and just said, hey, that guy, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, get him. And when he's talking, like the, the one kid that I've been having a whole bunch of problems with all the time is behind him with a big grin doing this. You know, it's like behind him stuff. And I just, and stupid me said, oh, and there's so-and-so, get him too. And we went into no. And it was probably the most intense we ever played that song ever. And lucky for us, it was like throwing out meat to a bunch of crazy dogs and the dogs don't get the meat, you know, kind of deal. Because those guys didn't get hurt, luckily, kind of thing. But it was kind of like a crazy full-scale riot John Wayne movie kind of thing going on. And when the air cleared and it stopped, Biscuit wouldn't fess up to it. Biscuit was just like, I didn't say that kind of thing. You know, so it just, it, so it just, the tension of like being in that station wagon way too long and all this, we all just went, okay, that's it. Let's, but once again, didn't break up. We just were like, okay, we're not, we, I think we were supposed to play one more show. We didn't do it. And, uh, and it was just like, and then we never, ever got back together. And the back together was because, in Biscuit's mind, he thought that we had planned all of that to, to uh, you know, the, to kick him out of the band. He did, it just, you know how we all have different friends that they have this one truth that they have that is absolutely not true at all. It did, that's not what happened, that's, but it's their truth, and they dwell on it for so long that it's just, it's a fact. It's like, and you're not going to, you can't argue them out of it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that compiled with all of a sudden, here comes Poison 13. Uh, Poison 13, it was me and Mike. We didn't have a bass player. All of a sudden, we've got a show. Uh, Chris, Mike was living with Chris. Chris hadn't started up what he was going to do. We need a bass player. Oh, shit, this is going to be weird. People are going to think we're trying. Ah, fuck it. I don't care. Come on. Kind of thing. Because we weren't going to play that much. you know. But then we, here we go, you know, kind of thing. And then... Poison 13, the connection with the records you were holding up is that people hated us here. Like we, there was like a little small contingent of people that really loved that band. The rest of everybody else, you, we were way too blues for the punk rock band crew. Uh-huh. We were way too punk rock and loud and drunk for the, the blues crowd. So we didn't, nobody understood what the hell and didn't like it. Uh, you also had the whole group of people that thought, oh, they kicked Biscuit out and they started this. And this is like, they, they no, we don't like you. It's not the big boy. You know, kind of just, okay. you can't, we, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue with us, you know, kind of type thing. But in Seattle, it, it was a fucking huge deal. And, and I, embarrassed to say that because when Mark and all those guys kept telling me and all this, I just thought you're just being nice. You know, like I just, cause I just, it's, it's hard for me to fathom, you know, something that you do like all of a sudden really changes something else over here or whatever. But that's where we're, us and tales of terror are supposed to be two of the main bands that kind of got grunge. We were the seeds for grunge. And there was a song that we did poison 13 called one step closer that I wrote. And then um, Mike wrote um, the words to it's really great. And, um, and supposedly, you know how in DC, like all those bands were playing stepping stone, like SOA and minor threat, you know, there's all this mm-hmm. kind of recordings of them. Well, in DC, uh, in Seattle, all those bands like Soundgarden and all that, they were covering One Step Closer, you know, kind of deal. They were playing that. And 
the only reason I know all of this and will say all of this and not feel so stupid saying it or feel, you know, embarrassed or whatever is because Mark and Steve kept trying to tell me and kept trying to tell me. And I was just like, and monkey wrench again, one show, one album. That's all we were going to do kind of type thing. And so when we played the show in Seattle at the crocodile, uh, they wanted to play one step closer. And I was just like, "Eh, this is, it's just weird playing, songs from some other band I was in to like, if we get more than one encore, sure, you know, and we can play it kind of thing and stuff. We got (laughs) a couple of different, so we go out to play one step closer and we go into it. And literally as soon as Mark started singing the whole, like I get choked up thinking about it again, the whole club starts singing this song. And I just, I literally quit playing. I was so taken aback that I stopped playing. And I remember Mark and Steve and them just looking over at me grinning. And I was just like, okay, this is nuts. This is like the craziest. So once again, it shows you, you put something out there, you don't have a clue. Like what can happen? So that's amazing. I mean, look at Stesic. That's a great example. Stesic wrote those articles about Dogtown that were so fucking great. And then look what happened. Like, because people, that's, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people gravitated towards that. Oh, like, yeah. that, okay, that's what I want to do. That's, that, yeah. that's our crews like that. We're, we're that for Austin or we're that for Dallas or we're that for so, you know, we're, we're the dog down for these groups. You know, kind of, we're not. Yeah, and the zine community. I mean, MoFo is huge too with his stories. It's just like, there's so many instrumental people that were like, Maybe you don't like this guy, you like that guy, but they influence the shit out of like your drive. Well, that's the thing about MoFo that's so great is that, and kind of sad at the same time is nobody was really talked to him, you know. And and he's like, yeah, he's he was he was right there. He's one of the main people that he's in. That he's going to be in the big boy stock. Like Joe talked to him for a pretty good while, so that was pretty great. And uh, you know, because I was trying to make sure that there were certain people. Like I'm hoping. I don't remember if Jeff's turned out that good or not. I don't remember what they told me, but hopefully if it didn't, we can talk to Jeff again, Newton and, and uh, cause nobody really talks to him. And he was yeah. like, that was a big, you know, that was a big part of, Absolutely. I mean, Zorlak was, Zorlak was kind of dog town for Texas. You know I mean? It was just this whole, it's almost like in BMX, how there were the terrible ones, you know, yeah. that thing that was in Austin, that was, they didn't really ever, they weren't in contests that much or any of that kind of stuff, but everybody knew they were really good. And they just, they didn't have to be in contest or anything. You know, they just had this whole oh, other yeah. mystique going on. So, you yeah, know. don't mess with Texas. Fucking, the John Gibson cover is one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Well, we're, we're winding now. I've taken way too much of your time. Um, just, well, I don't, I mean, that's the thing is, I'm totally honored with people. I'm just kind of shocked and honored at the same time when people want it. I, I'll talk to anybody about any of this stuff. So, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. What's going on now nowadays? You're you're more into the art world than the music, or it's just same old thing. New, what's going on? No, it's like it's you know, like I I understand. It's like we've been talking about before. I understand people separating these things, but to me, it's like it, it's your self expression. So skating, doing art, surfing, playing music, all it's all coming from you. It's all coming from the same thread. So I don't really. Like, okay, now I'm doing art. Now I'm doing, like, right. there, there's You're a really great story. Well, I literally since probably junior high, 
I've just, I, the whole label thing drives me fucking nuts because it's just like there's so much baggage attached to all these different things that I have nothing to do with. And like a, a really good example of this one, that's just real quick, is I, I did a show um, in Chicago and they wanted me to come and talk to the uh, School of Rock in Chicago kind of thing. And so I went to, talk, you know, there went a bunch of people, there's kids there and so, But there was one kid and I think he was getting ready to go into high school and he was real concerned about telling people that he was straight edge. And I was just like, well, and this is like a couple of years ago. And I said, well, are, are you happy? And the kid's like, yeah. You know, and you could see everybody having this real kind of quizzical. And I said, well, then why? And he's like looking at me. I said, because as soon as you give it a name, somebody in that room is going to be giddy, you know, kind of thing. So it's like, why, if you're happy, what the, and, and in reality, I, didn't smoke pot, I didn't do drugs, I didn't do anything back in high school, 70 to 74, they didn't have straight edge back then. What was I? What'd you call me? Kind of thing. And you literally saw the, like the kid kind of, because it was, it's like, right. why, why do you have to, you know, kind of thing. So it was great. He ended up coming up and hugging me and all this stuff. It was pretty great because he totally you know, got, got yeah, quite up. I think, I mean, I like stuff. that a lot. I think, nowadays we need to gravitate to that much more yeah 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 but the to answer the question so and all of us do this i mean depending on how old you are or whatever kind of thing there you, you, here you are walking you take those steps and everything and then every once in a while there's that really big step where everything just kind of shifts or changes and it's just like oh okay what now we're doing that kind of so maybe about like once again I'm horrible with this stuff but maybe like 10 11 years ago or something people started asking me to do art again and like and once again I never quit like I was doing album covers and posters and things like that but I wasn't doing big paintings or things like that and uh and I don't I, I don't think Seben was the first one no Seben definitely wasn't the first person to ask me but it was kind of early on when I did something with him and, and his they had a kind of a co-op going that uh, a bunch of people had gotten together and did a gallery on their own kind of thing. And they asked me to come. And, uh, and right when that happened, it was right at the time where from 78 all the way until, you know, early 2000s or mid 2000s, Beth and I were going out all the time. Like we would go out at least three times a week, you know, and see bands. And we kind of quit going out. We weren't going out that much. Um, the, the place that I was recording all the bands, Sweatbox, uh, burned, like burned down, like the whole big building that it was in with a bunch of other stuff and everything. Mm. Um, and I started playing Irish traditional music and old time. And I got really into playing, like I played a little button box accordion that I still play for Irish and then banjo and guitar and stuff for old time. And shift everything because I'm now I'm doing art I'm not really in bands right now I'm doing this but I'm playing more music than I ever did when I was in bands because I'm at people's houses every night sitting and playing you know like music with people and just all you know just by ear kind of type stuff and oral tradition you know that kind of type thing and uh, and that's kind of when all the art stuff got going and uh, you know again for like shows and things and and it probably wasn't until about three years ago maybe or so that most of the people coming to shows have no clue about the music at all. They don't know anything at all that I was part of that, you know, which, which 
I'm not saying this in a belittling or bad way because I'm super honored and, and proud of all that stuff, but it's kind of cool because when somebody says, man, I really like that painting there, and you know that there's not any baggage attached to this. There's not because, man, big boys, that's crazy band ever, but you know, right. kind of, you know, so it's kind of, it's, it's kind of nice and kind of neat, you know, yeah. that, that, you know, it's happening. So, and, uh, so yeah, it's, 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 it's all shifted, but the the self-expression is all still there. Does that make sense? Yeah, like it's totally. still, You know, and I still skate. I skate mostly banks and hills and ditches and stuff. You know, I don't really, I don't skate vertical at all. And I, and my, and I'm sure if anybody's listening to this, that knows me and's already heard stories, they're going to go, Oh my God, here we go. Kind of thing. Because my biggest pet peeve about parks until Evergreen and everybody started really building these new kind of moonscape things is that if any park had a bank, it always had that last little bit of pitch in it to where you can't go up and just lip slide and come back down and flow. You're going to hang and you're going to, you know, to do whatever trick it is, you're going to be doing kind of thing. It it drives me nuts because it's like we all learned on those banks and sure. like and, and and the thing is and if a park did have a bank it's one like you, you can't do forever so you have to just kind of go up and hit this bank and now you're going into the vertical part and all this kind of stuff it's like the fuck like just, the, these the, the parks are huge like give one little section to just make an old school ditch with lips that you can roll in and out of with big wide indies and you may you may like grind which great but you're not gonna hang you can just be hauling ass and flow and just like because uh. that's what you know i it, it, i don't know it's just it's amazing to me that that is out kind of thing so now evergreen and some of those parks are now making all these crazy yeah moon it's kind of things where it's kind of more that right you know when seaman did that thing with uh terrible ones with a uh god what are they called now so the guy's bike company um shit can't believe so this is stuff that i'm embarrassed about because those guys are great and they're friends and i just feel bad that i completely go blank i can't remember names of but steven did a bike with him and they did a, and they had a little uh, um uh, you had a rack on the side of it that you could uh you know take your board with you and all this kind of stuff and steven did the color scheme and all this it's really great it, it, look at google it and then you can maybe put it in the notes underneath or something okay. people and so they did a uh, like a uh, YouTube commercial kind of thing for it, you know, or just like a little film and stuff. And uh, and there's a skater here that at the time was pretty young named Max. And Max is probably still pretty young, but I'm saying like this is probably, you know, I don't know how old, maybe 20 or something. But uh, uh. And I had a big, huge Dan Higgs beard. Like I, I, literally I haven't shaved in two days and this is what this is. So it's like I grow beards really ridiculously fast. And so I had this big Dan Higgs and they wanted me to be the bum in this film, right? Because because part of it, it looks like, you know, Max is trying to do this trick. He can't do it. He's left the bike over by me, that, uh, and I look like this bum that's just passed out. But then it looks like I steal the bike and all. It, it, it's pretty pretty funny and pretty great. And uh, the uh, but anyway, while we're driving around, the two things that I just really remember was one of them was Max and and Steven and them going, oh, okay. Now on Forty Fifth Street, you can do the da 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 trick. Okay, now on 58th, we can do this da-da-da trick. And I'm just sitting there thinking, do, do you just skate? I mean, is there any place where you can do all these tricks and just skate? You know, like, what the hell? Like, this is like – and the other thing that happened was there was a, a period of time where, you know, they were setting up cameras and stuff for the bum scene thing and all that, and Max was talking to me. And Max just goes, well, what, 
what are lip slides? And I said, well, it's like, you know, you, you go up to the edge and you just push. And like, if your wheels break good enough and stuff, then you just slide and you just, you know, you slide. It's like you're spraying somebody on a surfboard. You just like kind of slide and around. Wheels turning, gears going. So, so uh, you mean like you ollie? It's like, no, no, no hippie hop going on at all. You just go up to the edge and you push and you <laughs> slide across this thing. Gears going again. And then the best kid reaction ever because he just goes, dude, that's sick. Like that. And I just started laughing like, hey, it's just, it's, you know. <laughs> There's a guy here named Scotty Mescal. And Scotty just passed. And, uh, and a lot of people knew him from the skate stuff and the BMX stuff and everything because he was always cooking food for him and he's always mentoring them and all this kind of and uh, and I didn't really know him that good I just it, you know but he knew me and Beth a whole lot and really loved us and stuff and uh, so we went out to one of these ditches where they were doing Burnside at you know and kind of putting a lot of stuff up and everything and with me now what happens is like. The first one or two rides, I had like my knee, one of my knees kind of gets really sore pretty quick, and then it has to give. And once it gives, then I'm okay. Like it's, then I'm fine. Like nothing's, I'm not worried, you know, kind of deal. But for some reason at this ditch, my knee just kept being sore, like it didn't give, you know, kind of thing. And I just, and I was saying something to Scotty about like, man, this is like, it's weird. Like, it's, man, dude, you need these wheels. And he puts on those rough riders, those wheels, right? Because you need to ride these. And sure enough, I ride on those. And it's like, holy shit, this is great. You know, because I, I usually always ride something a little harder so that I can slide if I want to or whatever. Kind of. So Scotty just passed fairly recently. And I did a mural for him and stuff they wanted me to do and all that. And the day that he passed... Like I had a, a, I had a Johnny Gibson embassy board like that, that, that had gotten from the guys at embassy and stuff. And then of mm. course I painted all over and did a bunch of stuff on it. And I'd been riding that, but in Japan, when we were just there and we were painting the murals in Fukushima with the kids and all that stuff with, uh, with, you know, well, Yusuke and high Dutch and all those guys are really great. And like, um, we go surfing and, we get out of the water and of course it's Japan. So there's like all these different people are there and vans and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm got out of the wetsuit I'm drying all off and stuff. And I look over and I see high Dutch pull this board out of the back of a van. And it looks like old sixties, those really great old wooden ones with the grain in it. Kind of, you know, almost like what old Sims boards kind of look like. But I mean, this is even before that, like the sixties, you know, clay wheel ones, you know, you'd see, you know, kind of Greg Weaver on before, uh-huh. you know, any of that. And uh, I was just like, holy fucking shit. Like, where'd you get that kind of thing? And it was uh, this place called uh, Grain On, actually, I've got the shirt on, Grain On Skateboards kind of thing. Uh, oh. see, what, yeah. turn around, back of, uh, see that? Ah, yeah. So the road that came down where this was and then wrapped around where the parking lot was, was just that super smooth, you know, asphalt, and uh, and it was and to, it was great. It was like the most unbelievable. So the first thing I did was I started out kind of slow because I was on, all I had on was flip flops. I wasn't going to do it barefooted, but I was like I had flip flops on, and I like and I go kind of slow to see how fast this hill is, and then was, was I going to make it around that turn without slamming into people and stuff? And then once I realized, oh yeah, this is like, then I just would go up to the top and just be hauling ass. I can be filming and all this stuff. And it was just so much fun. And like found out from high Dutch, like, you know, who the person was and everything. And we were there. And so we wouldn't have to ship or anything. I said, well, I want to buy one. Will you please tell him that I, 
I want one of these. I want to take it back home kind of thing. So that's when I've been riding now on the hills because it's just so much fun. And it's just like surfing and there's not any concave or anything at all. So I'm telling you all that because the day that Scotty passed, I thought, well, I'll go ride down the hills on the, the wheels that he just gave to me. And I'm riding with Scotty, you know, one more time. I'm going to, you know, just kind of respect, you know, kind Real of thing. Cool. Yeah. And I get on this board and like, and I've been riding that flat one, you know, that old sixties kind of looking, you know, it's new, but you know what I'm saying? There's no concave or anything. It's just this great. Yeah. And here's this board that's, you know, it's like I'm standing in a ditch, you know, kind of thing. And I just thought this sucks, man. I'm not into <laughs> this at all. kind of thing. So I went back and I started looking, you know, I don't have a, I've got a bunch of boards, but I mean, I just like my old, the one board that I really rode a lot, was uh, the Stretch Cunningham. I had one of those. And, of course, me, I cut it. And it's the same thing I did with my big boys one. And everybody was just like, Jeff was just going, Tim, can't you just ride them how they're like, why do you have to, like, change and alter? And, all? and uh, so I cut the nose and made the nose more piggier. And I can't remember what else. And I put more wheel well into it because I had the trucks really loose and all that stuff. And that's what I rode all the time, right? And so I pull that thing out and it's pretty beat to hell and I'm standing on it. And I realize there's hardly any concave at all. It feels great. You know, it's kind of thing because it's just like this really great, uh, those old blockhead ones. And, um, so there's a guy in Houston, Frank, that does um, uh, uh, Texican skateboards and he hand does them and he just, uh, they're great. They're like, this, he's, he's an artist with it kind of type thing. Uh -huh. And so, I, and I don't really know him, but I knew that he was making these things. And I said, hey, if I sent you my old Stretch Cunningham, could you like literally make, remake this thing and like, and put the wheel wells in like I had and do the nose and all that. So that's what I have now. And so now that's what I've been writing. And it's funny because then blockhead people wrote to me and then, then, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? The, the Cunningham guy, uh, Sam wrote to me and stuff. And like, so it's pretty funny. And, cool. and then I actually did look up, I looked up those boards and like, man, they're like super expensive now. If you wanted to try to get a real, Stretch Cunningham or something, you know, like one of the yeah. old. There's collectors out there. They're paying a lot of dollars. You going out at all um, during these COVID times? Or are you not that much, you know? And we're actually this. This is all you're going to turn into another podcast. But like, uh, <laughs> we 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 got an old uh, um, transit, not not the big transit ones. We got the the. Uh, uh, ProMaster City, like the little van, you know, that's, but it's still kind of, and Beth and I are pretty short, like I'm five, six or something, seven, and Beth's a little huh. short of me. So we're still going to have to kind of duck, but because uh, uh -huh. we, that, you know, it's embarrassing to say because people have lost their jobs, they've lost money, they've, I mean, it's just unbelievable all the stuff going down. And now with the fires and the hurt, all this kind of thing. So it's really embarrassing and kind of petty to say that we really miss travel you know, kind of thing. I mean, it, it, you know what I'm saying? Cause there's so much other, that's such a right. nothing yeah. know, compared to what everybody, but, uh, but we really miss travel. And so we, we kind of, and you know, we both retired. So we, we don't really, nothing changed that much for us other than not being able to go out and, and the travel thing, you know, because we have an income that comes in because we both retired and, you know, all that kind of deal. So, and, and, so anyway, we bought, we got this van and, and they're putting windows in the side of it now. And I'm supposed to get it maybe tomorrow or the next day. And then oh, we're going to start nice. converting. And so that we can kind of make trips and travel. And so maybe we'll finally get to meet face to face. And, oh, yeah, yeah. definitely hit me up so, if you yeah. come out this way for sure. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm sure we will, you know, sooner than later. So. Okay. Sick. Have you, have you been to that, um, uh, chicken shit bingo spot out there? I know exactly where it is. I haven't been in there. We but went, I know exactly. Me and my fiance went there when we were just, it, it's amazing. It's yeah, such yeah. a cool uh, experience. Yeah, no, that's, it's a little bitty place too. It's like a little bitty place. It looks like a little church. I know exactly yeah, it's yeah. on Burnett. I, yeah, totally. Yeah. When did y'all go? Like, what were you here for? Was it fun, uh, fun, fun or something? Like that? No, we, so my fiance's, one of her good friends got married in Dallas and we went to a wedding and I was like, we got to get out of Dallas. And so we went to Austin for like three or four days. Oh, that's cool. I wish we would have known each other. You could have come by. Yeah. I went to, do you know Elias and the no comply guys? Yeah. 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 So I, I hung out with them for it. We you were know that there his for grandfather like, found Machu Picchu. Did you know in, that? That's incredible. That's so freaking amazing. Like that's, that's, and seeing there, once again, it just kind of shows you, you know, like you don't have a clear, like, uh, spot, you know, who spot is right. That did all the SST shit and all yeah. the kind of things. It, his dad was in the Tuskegee Airmen, which is pretty freaking great and pretty amazing. You know, it's like, that's a, yeah. I don't know. It's funny to me when people get such a, I'm so-and-so kind of attitude because it's like you could, you know, everybody can know exactly who you are. And here we are in some coffee shop and the table next to us is going to be going, who, what do you do? What thrasher? What's that? You know, kind of, I mean, it's just, there's no point in being. It's you know, true. Yeah. I got the, um, what is it? This three degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon or whatever they call it. But, yeah. Uh, so my uncle was a musician. He moved to Seattle. He recorded two or three albums with Conrad Uno, who recorded your monkey wrench. Oh, yeah, album. Conrad and all that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I know Conrad. And so it's kind of like the three degrees. <laughs> Do you know that when we were doing the Fireballs of Freedom and uh-huh. we were in Conrad's house, we were in that, you know, an egg in the little basement. It was me and Johnny and then those guys. <laughs> At some point, Conrad came down and was just like, how much, how much longer are y'all going to be doing stuff today? And it's just like, it's going well, because right now all the pots and pans in the kitchen are kind of rattling and coming off of the, because they were so fucking loud. <laughs> you have to realize that, like, I would let people play as loud as they wanted to play, because to me it was like you're just trying to, to document what's going on here right now, you know, kind of thing. It wasn't me trying to get a sound or anything. It's like me just trying to make sure this comes off as you guys kind of thing. So, And the deal is, it's like, a lot of times studios will have bands turned down and then they kind of put all this stuff in there to make it sound. But it's a totally different sound coming out of an amp unless you are loud because you're not pushing as much air through those speakers. Hmm. So there really is a distinct difference. So it's like, turn up like you're playing live, like play like how you kind of, you know, so master and the, all the feedback and things like that. And like when up, which once again, that gets into a whole nother big long story, but the Lord High Fixers, Lord High Fixers is my favorite band that I've ever been a part of, hands down. I mean, oh. and I love everything else and it's great, but that's the band that changed me, changed, like all of us that were involved because, you know, Mike was gone for a little bit. We thought he might be dead. We didn't know. He came back and all of a sudden it was just that realization like, holy shit, like you're getting a second chance but wait a minute, th- this is life. Like, you know, once we said it earlier, this could be the last time me and you are sitting here talking. You, mm. So you better hug and sell it. So, and I've been listening to lots of free jazz and things like, like it, you know, this is just as valid as anybody's 
guitar solo, any kind of sound is valid. Yeah. Um, the idea that who the fuck cares if I, who celebrate if we're up here playing in a, at a show, celebrate the friendship and all the fun we're all having and stuff like because we may never get to do this again. So you better just fucking celebrate and have fun. And oh shit, but there's I hadn't seen you in forever. Here, take the guitar, you play. You know, kind of thing. I mean, you just turn and once you've crossed that line with that sort of attitude about life and everything, you can't go back. You can't just be in a band. And so the, the second monkey wrench record, that the one you have is the very first one. And that was more kind of band kind of thing. But when electric children came out, I'd gone through all of this stuff. And I just remember that, um, the, um, God, Jack and Dino was, it was me and Jack recording that band. And, uh, I just remember when things would be over, Every single song, Jack would come out and just be like, "You, I don't remember you guys being this noisy. Thing, and they'd all look at me and I'd just be like, I just, you know, whatever, it's, whatever happens, happens, you know, kind of type thing. So right. I, I kind of have a different, that's why I jumped off the stage at Wembley. You know, it's just like, I don't fucking care if you think I can play or not. I don't need your validation. Celebrate. This is fucking crazy and amazing here. You play the guitar at Wembley. Look, what, what's this wow. like? You know, kind of, you know, it's, I don't know. And it's, it's just a, it's just a switch or something that happens where you just see everything like that now. And just, you know, skating's like that. I mean, it's like, you should just skate because you're having a great time and try crazy things and stuff. Don't be doing things to, you know, I hope somebody, I hope Thrasher sees my video and we can do that, you know, just all that kind of, you know, teach his own cool, you know, but you're missing, you're missing out. You're missing, Just the, you, you don't have to, you know, go down that hill one time without Allian and just cruise and just like see what that feels like because it feels fucking great and you'll have a big smile on your face and you don't need to like, uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, just you, you have to do something, you know. No, you yeah. don't just cruise on the freaking board and feel, feel how that feels, you know, kind of thing, so. Totally. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you have to feel good. That's the bottom line. Did you guys play many shows together as Monkey Wrench, like live? Uh, not at first, but then uh, in two thousand, when Electric Children came out, we played a bunch of shows. Then we played San Francisco a couple of different times. Oh, really? And uh, and we played. Yeah, I can't remember where all else we played at. Tom has uh, um, uh, Parkinson's, and he's got it really pretty freaking bad at this point. Oh, so he, it's I don't know if we'll ever really, once again, never say never, but I don't know what, you know. Sure. And once again, it's one of those things where if you if you didn't know me and you heard people talking like this, you'd just think, man, that guy, like, what the fuck? That's, he's so vain. He thinks he's like kind of – and it's not coming from there at all. But it's, it's just this one lesson that was so great that like – so here was Fun, 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 which was named after the Big Boy song, which is – that's, you know, totally honored and all that. Mm. Okay, well, when they changed the name of the festival and moved it out of town, they called it Sound on Sound, which is – song I was singing and stuff though once again kind of they wanted Monkey Ranch to come play at Sound on Sound right so now I didn't think we were going to be the headliners but I figured we'd probably be in that mid section because it's Mark and Steve it's like Mud Honey and then Tom's been in all those great bands like Gas Suffer and all these bands and yeah. you know Mark and you know Blood Loss and all this we were 
we were so little that people didn't even know we were playing like in the bottom. Cause I don't know who, you know, it's probably like Thrasher is now, you know, where it's like, you've got a whole bunch of people working there that don't really even realize that, you know, Lance mountain is Lance mountain, you know, kind right. of thing. They just like, Oh, yeah, just whatever, you know, kind of thing. So we go to play this thing and it's when a huge storm happened and they, they ended up having to kind of cancel. I don't know if you knew all about. And so we end up sitting in this, you know, go through a big long-term story about the whole day, but like we end up sitting in like the, the, this, they did it at a place that was where there was a castle and where they do all the, uh, what is that called when everybody's doing the medieval parks and stuff The usually happens in the fall and they have the, different places that you can go and walk around and everybody's being real, you know, uh, there's wizards and oh, the, you know, the Renaissance, fairs? Renaissance fair. It was, it was at the place where they have the Renaissance fair. Mm-hmm. So there was a castle and there was just all this kind of crazy. And it was pretty great, pretty funny and stuff. So we're sitting in the castle and like the whole day had just been this crazy, like, you know, just nuts. And, and we were supposed to play on this one, uh, kind of smaller stage, which was great. I like doing that any, any better anyway. And, but the water was this high on the stage, and Steve's like going, I don't want to be famous tonight, you know, kind of thing. And so we were trying to talk to him like, hey, can we just play later? And how come we can't play right over there where there's the canopy and let's just, all we need is an amp for Mark to sing out of. We're, we're going to show you what punk rock is, you know, kind of deal. We don't need all this other shit. Let's just play kind of. Uh-huh. And so now we can't play till later on in the night, so we're there. So we're sitting in the castle at the big long table where the big king's chair is and the queen's chair and all this. And we're sitting at the table and I'm sitting there and Mark and Steve are sitting by me and Tom had walked off this way. And Eric, the teacher we've been talking about was sitting by me because he had never seen us play or me play. And he wanted to be there to see this and stuff. So we're all sitting. Okay. We didn't have a dressing room. We didn't have anything like that. You know, the big bands had the dressing rooms, all of the big bands that were involved we're just like, nobody's talking to each other, none of the bands. It's just the bands, all the self-contained, walking around like, do you know who I am? You want to be, we're going to be a big shit, you know, kind of, it's just that whole, which was sad, you know, it's like no community at all. So I'm watching that, and I'm watching them all walking around, nobody's talking, you know, and then I see these three women come in. And they've got cameras and stuff, and you can tell they're like they're working for some magazine or whatever, and they're they want to get the story, and like and so they're looking around to see who they can come and talk to, and uh, so they're looking, but you know they they're not coming to us at all, you know they're they're looking at all this other stuff and everything. So I'm kind of sitting and watching all this, and I'm just thinking now this is like, you know this is this is what people need to realize and understand. It's like, you know, yeah, you're, you're walking around here like you're the big shit. But, you know, maybe, maybe 30 years from now, you'll have a festival named after you and your song that you wrote. And you might be as big as Mud Honey, who you probably know all about, but you don't even realize this is Mark and Steve kind of thing. And you want to be that big kind of deal. And, yeah, here you'll be 30 years from now. Nobody's going to. So you're going to act like that. You're going to act like you're yeah. not going to just be a human being and get a big family going and friends, you know what I'm saying? So it was just, it was just funny to me. It was just like, this is great. You know, cause it, and the women even sat down at the table we were at, you know, and it was just kind of like, okay, you can, you could literally be talking to mud honey and you could talk to somebody that this thing's named after and yeah. you're not even because we're not a name, you know, right. kind of we're not. Uh, so 
And once again, that's coming from how stupid it is to think that you're, you know, to get into that frame of mind or that place. Sure. Does that make sense? Kind of thing. It's not coming from me telling, like, man, I'm somebody, isn't that funny? No. I mean, why should people know who the hell I am anyway? But it's just, it, I don't know. It's just, it's such a crazy, I mean, I'm sure it happens with all the skate stuff and Thrasher too. I'm sure. You know, there's a lot of skaters that are doing it because they want that name and validation instead of doing it because it's something they, it's just fun and you want to just do it and you want to do it for the rest of your life. And, you know. Yeah. I think social media has really encouraged that too mentality. Like, Ooh, how many followers do you have? How many likes did you get? All that stuff. It's kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. Well, shoot. Uh, Probably, we probably lost most of the people that are going to be listening to this thing. So. <laughs> no, I was going to say we're going to have to have a part two. I feel like there's so much stuff I could talk to you about. We could talk forever. Um, well, that's, I, I mean, that's what I was saying earlier. That's what people keep saying. I need to write a book and all that because it is. I mean, that's once again, it, embarrassing. I don't like those kind of people. But, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of shit that I – and I'm still going. It's like I haven't stopped and it's not going to – you know, I'm not trying to relive the touchdown pass or whatever kind of thing. So, yeah. I love hearing it and learning things. Like, that's kind of my drive is just to pick up little additional tidbits of stories I know a little bit about or whatever. The ongoing debate we have, we might be ending with this one, is... Uh, I said I didn't do the graphic for big boys. We did. So, <laughs> is, that, is that the debate? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is more subjectional. This is... This is, there's not going to be a fact, I don't think, to the answer. It's more of a preference, but it's the greatest American rock and roll band of all time. Who I think is? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if I would consider them rock and roll, but Sly and Family Stone is pretty freaking amazing because of the messages they were saying and just that whole, you uh -huh. know, Curtis Mayfield's really great doing that stuff. Because um, once again, I'm not necessarily a rock guy. I don't really, mm -hmm. you know. I'd say Simon Family Stone. I'll say that. I like it. And they're, and they're, they're Berkeley. They're San Francisco. You know, the last time I was there, and I, I think I painted some stuff for the one, two, what's the name of that record store? One, two, three, one, two, something go, or there's a record store there in uh, Oakland or Berkeley or uh, one, two, three, something. I think the people from Green Day live on top of the, the record store or something, or uh -huh. they have their studio there. I think Sam Cunningham's, uh, the bike shop that he has, uh, I think is like across, it was pretty close to it or pretty, because oh, okay. Rich, Rich Jacobs was kind of living there for a while. But anyway, last time I was there, we went to the, uh, there's those statues that are in that park and it's where the, that first Sly Family Stone record, they're all standing on and around that kind of crazy 60s looking, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like this, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's yeah. It's like crazy so I was pretty excited about that. It was all fenced off. Like you couldn't really, Can't get you know, in. go and get on there or anything. But it was really funny because Rich took a picture of me and I got, we got in such a way to where I was kind of standing the same way Sly Stone was to where it looked like I was. And then I think I posted it on Instagram, but it was like, if you know, you know, you know, kind of like I didn't say anything about like. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you did you ever uh, plug into any of the Thrasher skate rock trips that we were doing like of recent year? Did you see any? Not of the recent. Actually, I think I did because uh, y'all Thrasher would come for fun, 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 
and play uh, and have the crazy ramps and all that stuff and play. Yeah, we did Deathmatch at South Bay. South Austin. I can't remember the name of that place that everybody's at, but I I, I went to a couple of those, yeah. At the Scoot Inn? Yeah, Scoot Inn. I definitely came to to one or two or maybe even three of those different times. That's where we met Rainey. That's how we met Rainey there, and then Jake came back to SF and's like, there's this dude ripping, you got a fucking... And next thing you know, Rainey moved out here. Yeah, they told me that story about Rainy. Like there, there was something where because his mom was showing me the video and just like I can't even I have to watch. You know, she was like that about it. But it was something where you were supposed to you were trying to get all this money, and there was this crazy jump in this park, a bunch of combi pool kind of type thing or something, and you had to kind of go over this one thing and land over here, and everybody was trying to do it, and trying to do it, and trying to do it, and he finally does. He clears it and That's does it, funny but then me. he hits. And he lands, like he lands it, but then he, you know, something happens and he cracks his head open and all this stuff and he's laying there. But he says he totally remembers like the money just coming down because oh, everybody was just Vancouver. like, I, was, I filmed yeah, that. Actually. Yeah. yeah. He said, you got it. That's it. You know, kind of thing. So, which is pretty great. So, well, yeah. And once again, I don't really know him, but he seems like a really good kid. And super just, and cool. Completely, yeah. Real good. Blind. And Reagan, <laughs> his mom's amazing. Yeah, Reagan's great, and look at look at the Thrasher. You'll see, and then it's great because he he, he there's a shout out to Jeff too. Like oh, there's, cool. I haven't seen it yet. Somebody, if you want to send me one, send me one. But yeah. the, uh, the uh, um, I haven't seen it, but it's that thing where you know there's a page, and then down at the bottom there's this little kind of other little things that are written. You know, like a little article, a little box, and so I guess I'm in one, and it's that picture that uh, 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 Bill took of me at Pflugerville, just like fucking hauling ass and going around this one. You'll see it. And, uh, okay. and then, and then Newton's in there and it just, and it's great. And it's Rainy just talking about how, you know, you need to know about Jeff Newton. You need to know that, that that's, you know, he, you know, he's kind of one of the older people that kind of we're here because of him, you know, kind of thing. So it's really cool. Yeah. Cause people don't really do that much for Jeff and them. So, yeah. And it's rare to have like new generation kids that respect history and, and talk about things like that. Like, I feel like it's rare and rare. Yeah. You know, it really didn't start to me. It didn't really start up till the Dogtown documentary. Cause I remember you would, yeah, I, cause I remember going out one time with this friend of ours that's passed now to Tom Smith, who was unbelievably fucking great skater. And, and uh, the, the great story about him was, and he was an alcoholic, but he, he, he did finally clean up, but then was in some crazy car wreck and was the passenger and died. You know, after all this craziness of being just unbelievably drunk, now he's sober and he's in, but there's a really great story. There's a hill in Austin that goes straight down and across Lamar, and there's a traffic light, and it's pretty freaking steep and all that. And they were having this crazy party at Tom Smith's house, and there was a bunch of the younger skaters were all there, and they and it's back in the big, you know, pants and all that kind of stuff, and little wheels, and, yeah. and they're all talking about shooting that hill. But they're all kind of like, you know, because uh, of the light, and it's really Tom comes out there, is listening to them all. He's pretty drunk and stuff, so he has a beer in his hand. And he shoots that thing, goes down. And all those kids are just, man, just, nah, you can't, that was just luck kind of thing. So he goes back up to the top and does it on one foot, drinking the beer kind of thing. And then the kids were just like, okay, you're. <laughs> but I was out skating with him one time. This was before the Dogtown thing. Because after the Dogtown thing, everybody did start kind of respecting the older skaters and stuff. But but I was out there one time. It was really great. We were at some ditches over by my house. And uh, there was a bunch of kids there and stuff. And they're just, and. You know, here comes Tom, and the kid's like going, 
but that that's a four forty to seven thirty to six thirty. So I can and man, how and it's great because we're all just looking at him and he goes, "How'd you do that?" And Tom's just like, "I'm skating." Like, what the hell? Like, what? You know? <laughs> we were at that contest that you know where Dwayne should have won and Tony Hawk won. You know that really clap that that thing that everybody goes back to. Big boys were there. We oh. were at that that contest and I because I remember TA because I remember um, guy Rodney which I have never met. He's great. And I, it's, I think it's great what he does and everything. But I just remember him doing freestyle and Tony like yelling out at, you know, in the crowd, just going circus tricks, circus tricks. You're just doing circus tricks, you know, kind of type thing. But Dwayne should have won that freaking contest. I mean, cause Dwayne, like he, he goes up and it's like, okay, now he's doing, Oh wait, now, now it's a board. So open now it's, the, it's just, he's just skating, but it's just all this shit that he's just going with the flow of what the board's doing. You know, it wasn't like the mechanical right. kind of thing. And, and then it ends up that Tony wins. And I think it was one of those first ones that Tony kind of was a big deal that he'd won or something. And a lot of people were just like, yeah. It oh, yeah. There, there's another great divide <laughs> that was like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, I was there and Dwayne Schroeder probably won that thing. <laughs> yeah. Was, that's all the shit he was doing. So, And I don't really know him that good either. I know him, but not that. You know, right. It's kind of sad what all happened with him, but you know. So. Yeah, I know it's hard. What you got any advice for for the aging skateboarders? I feel like a lot of my friends are the same age as me, are struggling in a lot of ways mentally with just having like almost a rock star vibe for those years, and then kind of like it. You know, you're old, and now you're not that anymore. And like, just if you get, just remember what was making you smile in the first place when you were on that thing and just ride. I mean, don't, don't try to like, man, I used to could do six kick flips and one set, you know, just it, don't even just ride, you know, just have, I mean, that's all I do. I don't really, I, I do some slides and I do, but I'm just like, like we went, they, they took me to some hill in Seattle and they, and they all go to Mary, Mary's worth, Mary's something. It's like this crazy thing that happens two or three times a year. There's this huge, long, you know, road, and they all get the motorcycle shit on and just fucking haul ass down. The thing. Me, I'm just like surfing it, you know, just like back and forth. I'm going too fast. I slow back up and kind of just, it's great, you know, kind of thing. And, and that's what I'm saying It's just, why were you doing it to begin with? Does uh-huh. that make sense? Like, were you doing it so that you could do all these little tricks or were you doing it because you just, man, this feels great. I love the way this thing feels, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, um, I think that, I think that's the problem with a lot of people and a lot of stuff where people say, well, I can't do art. I can't draw or I can't play the guitar and stuff. It's like, and that happens because you're trying to draw like somebody else. You're trying to skate like somebody else. You're trying to skate like you used to skate. You're trying to like do and in reality, skate like you skate now. Skate like what you are now, because that's you know. You, and then yeah, you can draw. You, you may not look like anybody else's stuff you've ever seen, but you can draw. You know, it's like it's it's same thing with music or any of this stuff. You know, so yeah. I think that's the big holdback on a lot of people is that they're just trying to compare themselves to something. So yeah, that's the. I mean, it's huge. You set the bar high, and then you want to keep everything at that bar, but like you know physically you can't do what you did when you're in your 20s obviously <laughs> like yeah well that's it i mean surfing for me it's like i mean i literally 
that's that's probably my only regret that was that I physically quit surfing. Like I probably about start a bad mother goose. So probably like mid late eighties, I stopped and I haven't done it since I turned, you know, they, they, they have a park here, but now it's closed down and stuff, but they started up a park here and I just, and the, and yeah, and I look like a complete kook trying to get up and it's, and it's hard to get up. And I just, am really clumsy looking. But once I'm up, it's like, I mean, everybody in that park was just like, Oh yeah, you surf, you surfed, you know, kind of cause it's, it's, it's like, I look when I'm on a skateboard, it's just that right. not doing it on purpose. It's just, that's, you know, I guess style or whatever kind of thing. And so that's my only regret is I, I, I physically quit, but mentally I never did because like I'm saying, if I'm on it, like I was on a board yesterday going down the hill, you know, on this one street that's by us and stuff. And it's just like, man, this is so great. Just like cruising, you know, kind of thing. So it's, so yeah, you know, your body definitely, you know, starts playing tricks on you and stuff. So yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a challenge for sure. But I think you just learn different things. Like, like you said, you just got to be in the now. That's really. Yeah. So anybody listening to this is building any parks, build something that's got a reservoir ditch thing. And there you go. Okay. There you <laughs> have it. I'll come for sure. I got some friends up in uh, North Seattle, crying line and dreamland. Listening. Oh, yeah. To get that shit going. Um, they're building that crazy, they built that crazy Burnside thing in Seattle. I got taken to that to go look at it. It's pretty great. That's under that crazy uh, oh, yeah, highway. Marginal way. Yeah. And you really have to kind of climb to get up into that thing. I mean, it's kind of dangerous even getting up to the. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, they're killing it up there. I love those dudes. We always end it with a song. So what song would you play if there was a jukebox or you could play any song right now to take us out of here? Uh, keep on pushing. Play that Curtis Mayfield impression song. Keep on pushing. Excellent. That kind of means a lot of different stuff for a lot of this. So yeah. I like it. Tim, thanks so much. It's really an honor to have you on here. I really appreciate um, you taking, we took a lot of time and I really appreciate it. Uh, it's cool hearing all this stuff. And all right, well, thank you for asking. Stuff. Yeah, maybe I'll ask you again in another few months and we'll continue on. You got so many cool stories. If you, want to be the person, if you want to be the person that writes the book, I'll start telling you all the stories. So there you go. I'm in. <laughs> Count me in. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. See ya. Cheers. Bye. Everybody gather around and listen to my song. I've only got one We who are young Should now take a stand Don't run from the burdens Of women and men Continue to give Continue to live For what you know is right Most of your life Can be out of sight With the draw from the dark and look
listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, 
where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.